If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile, you'll get their unlimited plan for 50% off. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash save. That's mintmobile.com slash save. Hurry. Offer ends January 15th. Jody can't stop winning. Evan can't stop winning. CT only seems to lose when he DQs himself. Can any of these three be beaten in the first ever individual challenge season? Plus, real-world Key West alums get a rude welcome to the challenge house. TJ is out here giving out the best prizes of all time. Pole wrestle is not just born, but played four times over. And boy, do we get some bangers. Anissa gracefully handles some bullshit thrown her way. Tina finishes off her challenge to-do list with a bang. And OMG, DM and CT, their journey of love begins, and it's just the best and most heartwarming. It's the challenge, season 13, the dual full season rewatch and recap podcast coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in the challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very, very much for being here with me today. On today's podcast, it is exciting times as the 2022 Challenge Series rewatch rolls on into season 13, The Duel, an all-time great season, an all-time impactful season in challenge history, one of my all-time favorite seasons, as this is really the season where I have my first confident memories. I remember watching it, where I was, what I was doing, what I was thinking about all of this, when it was actually happening in real time. In one of the seasons, that is the impetus for why we're even doing this rewatch series in the first place. Because, you know, it's one of those that's so great, so much going on, so many interesting subplots within it that it deserves to be talked about, and at the time it aired way back in 2006 and 2007, there just wasn't the coverage of the show the way that there is today. There wasn't, you know, Twitter where we can all get all of our thoughts about this out there. There wasn't the the podcast circuit and the write-ups and variety and places like that. There was, there was none of that, and that is the entire reason for this rewatch series in general is to be able to go back and give some of these amazing, great seasons of old their due, their time in the limelight, rediscuss them, bring them back up, hopefully spur a bunch of people to go watch them and relive them again right along with me. And this is one of the seasons that's right up there near the top of the reasons why we need to do this because we needed to be able to talk about the duel. It is just 
It's an all-timer for sure, not to get ahead of ourselves for the very end of this, but you can probably already guess where this season's grade will end up. We will get there the same way we've gotten to that point of every one of these rewatch podcasts. We're going to talk about the state of the challenge. We're going to talk about some of the biggest storylines of the season. We're going to hand out of a bunch of awards, which will allow us to talk about even more, more minute details from the season. We'll give out an MVP. We'll give out a full season season grade the whole thing coming up here shortly only quick programming notes before we begin we'll be back this week as the challenge usa season rolls on that season has been fantastic thus far recapping those episodes late every wednesday night so if you're not watching that already i implore you you should be as someone who myself was a challenge only fan didn't know who any of these people were if you're a little trepidatious about going over to the cbs world you don't know who these people are you're not sure it's the same show it's the same show it's great tj's there the cast is good everything's going well definitely check it out and then you can listen to those recaps as well and then this friday we will have a special edition of the challenge historian podcast coming at you our first ever player resume player profile if you will cast member profile i don't know what we're going to call it yet we'll figure that out between now and friday but a podcast and separate video version on youtube focused on a single player's career in this we will not give away who that player is at this time but it is someone near and dear to my heart one of my all-time favorite cast members who the only teaser i'll give you is we're doing them first because we've already covered all four seasons of the challenge that they competed on therefore uh having all the knowledge we need to put together that little resume for them so three pods coming this week starting with one you're listening to now with that let's go ahead and dive on in let's kick things off Talking the Duel, Season 13, wrap your minds back all the way, rewind to 2006, and let's talk the state of the challenge. Starting, as we always do, the high, high level. We got to get our brains, you know, 2006, a long, long time ago, depending the age of you listening. Maybe you watched this in real time. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you just binged it this last weekend for the first time ever. If you were one of those people, Ooh, man, you are lucky. The the things I would do to be able to rewatch some of my favorite, not just challenge seasons, but you know, TV shows, movies, books, anything, to be able to rewatch for the very first time, reread something like that, uh, something as impactful and great as this season is, would be an absolute blessing. So for those of you who maybe have just seen it for the first time recently, hats off to you. Bet you loved it. Let's get to talking about it. We'll start high, high level. The state of the challenge in 2006, if I could just put one word to it. The challenge is pumping. It is just pumping along, pumping out those seasons. This season starts one month, airs one month after the previous one, Fresh Meat. The next season after this will start or air about eight weeks, seven to eight weeks after this. So they are going from the twice a year to the how can we get this to be basically on our televisions every week of every year possible while still being able to allow the same cast members a little bit of a break a one to two week break to hit that bar circuit and whatnot between but they are just pumping these out it is a gold mine for mtv at this point and even more so they are flooding it with recent real world casts they know this is now the third uh yeah third challenge season in a row where there was only a real world season before it that precluded it not 
a Road Rules season to pull cast members from. Therefore, they have started to up the amount of real-world cast members they bring straight from the real-world house to the challenge house. This is the second season in a row that four of the seven people who were just on Real World are now in the challenge house, this one being the Key West with Bananas, Paula, Tyler, and Svetlana. Previous season to this, Fresh Meat obviously had four real-world Austin cast members, and now Nehemiah, a fifth Austin cast member, is here for this season. So they are really putting the, you know, the real world has achieved maximum velocity. It is, at this point, likely, while they don't maybe can't feel it quite yet because Austin and Key West were two, you know, massive, massive seasons, hugely successful, memorable, iconic seasons. So in the moment, Uh, They maybe don't realize they're on the precipice of finally starting to tail off and slow down a little bit retroactively. We can tell that this is kind of an inflection point for the real world. The first one where it's like, hey, it's not going to die anytime soon by any means, but it is going to start to tail off a little bit here. So they're getting the most out of these real world casts without the road rules there to supplement the cast as well. Except for we do find out from a road rules perspective It has been dead for a couple years, but it has been resurrected for one last, what we now retroactively know, ill-fated attempt called Viewer's Revenge, but that is announced during this season, the Duels reunion episode, the end of the reunion episode, they announced that Road Rules is coming back. We all know that it unfortunately doesn't go so well, but it will provide a couple extra cast members and a couple more opportunities for previous cast members and Challenge alums to get back on the air and go compete in the road rules again. But overall, the challenge is just pumping along. It's a big hit. It's a moneymaker for MTV, and it's going nowhere no time soon. And in fact, they're getting as many of them out every every year as possible at this point. So that's where the challenge is as a franchise. Let's talk about the basics of this season. The duel, again, season 13. TJ Lavin here to host his third season in a row. We are in Brazil. Um, Am I going to pronounce incorrectly the actual town, city that we are in in Brazil? You bet your butt I'm going to. We're in Amaco dos Buzios. Uh, That's my best guess at it. I apologize. I am not the best with uh, with uh, pronunciations of damn near anything, let alone uh, city and uh, city names in other countries. But we're in Brazil and a wonderful challenge location. We've got 16 episodes plus a reunion, 17 total. This ran from October 12th, 2006 to January 18th, 2007. Only, it should be noted, for the first time, the last couple times that the seasons, uh, I believe it was two seasons ago at this point, yeah, um, they actually took a break for Christmas this year. They did not air an episode on the Christmas New Year's timeline a couple seasons ago they had you know they had the audacity to uh to air an episode on December 26th and January 2nd which normally any TV program of any kind non-sports related uh you take Christmas and New Year's the day of day before day after you take them off you don't necessarily air your show so they did that finally on this season. So I guess that's a little bit extra state of the challenge. They maybe didn't think they had the power. They weren't as on such a power trip to think they could override a regular TV schedule. So they doubled up on January 4th episodes. We had a little two week break near the end of this season, but 17 total episodes and 20 
total cast members, a lower number of cast members than some of the bigger seasons that have come before it. They've started to oscillate between, depending the format of the season, how many cast members they have. And that's also probably a reflection of knowing we've only got this one feeder system. Yes, we're taking four out of the seven real world people, putting them straight into the challenge house. But uh, keeping a 36-person cast with just one real-world season to pull from for new people every time was going to be a little unsustainable. So they are starting to bring it back in, rein it back in. But we got 20 people, 10 men, 10 women playing an individual game. Those 20 people are Jody from Road Rules Extreme, Svetlana from Key West, Anissa from Chicago, DM from Fresh Meat, Kina from Extreme, Robin from San Diego, Beth from LA, Casey from Fresh Meat, Paula from Key West, and Tina from South Pacific. On the men's side, we had Wes from Austin, Brad from San Diego, CT from Paris, Evan and Big Easy from Fresh Meat, Derek from Extreme, Nehemiah from Austin, Kenny from Fresh Meat, Tyler from Key West, and John DiVinanzio from Key West, later to be known as Johnny Bananas. Those are your 20 cast members. That's the basics of the season. So then let's move into the final high-level thing to talk about. My favorite, maybe my favorite thing to talk about every single one of these rewatch podcasts, and that is the evolutions in the challenge. The first, the history made, the statistical uh, supremacy that was brought via winning or doing something on this season. All the evolutions, all that stuff. I love, love, love discussing this stuff. So let's run through those first. And There's an obvious one. We've already said it a couple times. We said it in the very open to this podcast. It's an individual challenge, and that had never happened before. I mean, we had just gotten used to the idea that they were going to do partners with the season before Fresh Meat being the first partner season, kind of, uh, kind of not, kind of, you know, Battle of the Seasons was partners, but was also teams. It was a little weird. But this one, first ever pure individual challenge you're going to run by yourself at the end. One male, one female are going to win the big money at the end. Yes, they did do some team-based challenges. Yes, they did a fair amount of partner-based challenges, but make no mistakes about it. This was an individual season from start to finish the whole way through. And that was a huge, huge change, uh, both in the game itself as well as then in the structure of the show side of things because it brought way more drama of a different kind and way more strategy from the game side of a different kind. Whereas, you know, before in the two big teams, over and over we had the teams, it would over and over be, you know, someone on the bottom of each team's totem pole, maybe some inter-team drama, but there wouldn't be a lot of strategy going on. There couldn't really be big alliances or anything because it was just these two big teams. It was a little harder to navigate. Now, from down to partners, and now a purely individual, the Wes Bergmans of the world could relish in the fact that now there can be some real scheming, there can be some real manipulating, there can be some real alliances. Alliances were had this season, we will talk about those during the storyline portion. The next evolution then, um, kind of a, a crazy one that I totally had forgotten, but there's prizes for the elimination winners for the first time ever. Uh, they may have given out a prize at some point previously, but never had a season where every person that wins an elimination gets a pretty legitimate prize. This season's prizes for elimination, there was a bunch of Seiko watches given out. There was a bunch of Xbox 360s given out. But if you won an elimination, you got a prize. That had not happened before. That was a big change in the game and one that 
did not last uh, even possibly one season beyond this. I can't fully remember right now, but we'll cover that as we get to the next seasons. Obviously, another first in challenge history, somewhat of an evolution, Johnny Bananas gives a toast. Now, this is slightly different than the toast he would eventually become known when you know known for he's known for a lot of things within the challenge house but one of the staples of a challenge season with Johnny Bananas is he gives the toast at the start of the season the first big party this one a slightly different he's easing his way into it he takes a day first to get eliminated but then gives a full house toast post elimination on his way out the door so the Johnny Bananas toast is uh, had for the first ever time. Next one, kind of an inside baseball one here, but the editing gets really obvious this season, and that becomes an evolution that is uh, it's an unfortunate one. It's, a, it's one that's going to have to happen just by nature of the show. There's kind of no avoiding it, but what I mean by this is that within about two to three minutes of each episode starting, we pretty much know who's going to be going into elimination at the end of it. It's very, it's telegraphed, straightforward. They only have so much time in these short episodes that, you know, fit in a daily challenge and elimination and a little bit in between both of those things and after. And so you'd start to realize right away, like, oh, we kind of get a little, a minute to two minutes with this person, this person, and this person. And then they're off to the daily challenge. Well, wouldn't you know one of those three people is going to win the daily challenge and the other two are going to be in the elimination and it's a guy's week and they focused on these two guys. So I guess it's going to be it's going to be those two, isn't it? And yes, it is. And the editing gets rather obvious. They deal with this over the years, especially once the episodes go out to 60 minutes or even 90 minutes. Um, They're able to work around this a little more. Some episodes, depending the storylines going on, are more obvious and easy to work around than others. But this is the first real season where I feel like that obvious editing, the I am two minutes into this episode and I know who's going into elimination. I don't know who's going to win it, but I can can clearly tell that it's obviously going to be these two people in elimination. That really starts this season. Then another huge first. Uh, maybe maybe one of the biggest we've ever discussed in this segment of the rewatch series, Pole Wrestle. Pole Wrestle is here. Pole Wrestle is introduced for the very first time. It's not just introduced. It is played four times this season, which is unbelievable and insane, and I feel bad, and I get achy just thinking about the four different matchups that were had this season, even 15, 16 years later, whatever it is, uh, how sore these people would have been from these absolute battles that we see in pole wrestle this season. But pole wrestle is introduced and brought into the world of the challenge never to leave again. There would be a season here or there where we wouldn't see it, but as we all know, it has become a true staple of the challenge. You can't really have a season without at least having one pole wrestle matchup. Some of the best pole wrestle matchups ever are some of the most iconic moments in challenge history, one of which does take place this season and we will be talking about in length uh, here soon. Then the final real evolution of in both the show and the sport side, uh, bringing them together, the first ever double elimination to end the season. They had never done this before, and it would become eventually, it isn't every single season, but it's most of them, and it is both 
from a game side of thing and especially from a show side of thing, an important evolution that was made that we get to the end of the season and right before the final, there is a double elimination. It is not a men's elimination or a women's elimination or even one single team. It is a double. And that way, it does a couple things. One, it's just the drama and the stress and everything is way higher. That's always good for the show, for us viewers at least, not so much for those actually partaking. It also avoids what had happened a few times in the pre seasons prior to this one where you know, if the cycle is a men's elimination, then a women's elimination, that last cycle of the season, the three or four guys that are left maybe don't give a shit about that last daily challenge when it's just the last women's one and they're officially in the final. They're just kind of gearing up. And then if if they have to be involved in partners or somehow in that final daily, they don't give their full effort. It screws one side over whoever has to go last on that so it fixes that and most importantly from the show side it keeps more people around as long as possible even if they only want to run a final with in this particular season they run a final with four people which is an error that they would come to realize and fix later on but keeping extra people around right up until that very very end or even allowing those double eliminations to bleed into the final episode and kind of juice up instead of just the final we get some eliminations on top of it the whole thing it works really really well and it was something that would uh, debuted this season and would be around for a long time to come and still used to this day as for a statistical front a couple statistical milestones met this season the biggest one probably Arguably, they're all related to Wes and Jody. The biggest one, though, is that Wes officially becomes the most decorated elimination contestant ever. With his one win on this season, he becomes 6-0 and in eliminations, breaking his tie with fellow partner from Fresh Meat, Casey, with Sarah from uh, The Gauntlet, and with Derek himself, who Wes beats this season in an elimination, which he says is I'm calling you out to see who's the best at this he acknowledges to some degree that they both have won five times before and he gets that when he becomes the first person with six he would take the lead and uh, not look back for a very long long time on the most elimination wins ever as for the highest earners in challenge history Jody and Wes both win $150,000 a season that is the biggest single person prize that anyone has won in the history of the show up to this date which means they vault up the highest earner rankings Jody is now as of the end of this season the second highest earner ever with $176,000 $26,000 from back when she won a few seasons prior and then $150,000 for winning this season a big change for her and then Wes is now in third at $160,000 his 10k from fresh meat plus his 150k here Darrell is the only person still in front of them at $240 plus thousand dollars Jody also becomes the 11th two-time winner. She joins the two-time champion club, the 11th person in that club. Wes, it becomes the 49th person to win the challenge ever. There are 49 champions ever across these first 13 seasons. And then the final thing that uh, was interesting to realize right away, and that is that Wes officially, two seasons into his challenge career, he is officially the camera's favorite cast member ever. And I say that because after this season is over, if you only look at cast members who had been in 10 or more episodes at this point to weed out the couple folks who had, you know, been on one season, 
eliminated second episode and got, you know, 12 confessionals in that second episode. So their average per episode is completely inflated just because they were only there once or twice. Out of any cast member, 10 or more episodes appeared in. Wes, by far, has the highest confessionals per episode number at four and a half. Only Svetlana, which just from this single season making it to the final, is at 4.1. And when four people are in the final only, that inflates those numbers a little bit, which is part of why she's up there. She's also heavily featured this season. But then third place, 3.7, fourth place, 3.5. So Wes is one more confessional more than really third and fourth place on this list. He is by far the most featured cast member we've ever seen in his first two seasons. Um, and you know, that would that wouldn't change anytime soon. He would take a pretty lengthy break after this season, and but when he comes back, he's still one of the faces of the franchise the moment he comes back from this moment on, really from the day he stepped into the challenge house. So that's some statistical history made. We got our first ever double elimination pole wrestles here. The editing's getting obvious. Johnny Bananas is given toast. We're playing an individual challenge game. Those are some of the evolutions. That's where we stand from a high, high level. Let's break it down further now. I think we're ready. I think we've got our brains wrapped back around what this season was, the duel. Let's talk about some of the biggest storylines that happened within it. Storylines from the duel, there is only one place to start. If Honestly, if we only talked about one storyline, that even in a season this great with this much going on, it would probably be all right because that storyline is DM and CT falling for each other. This is, this is, you know, just an iconic, iconic season because of this relationship and this story that would take place. Now, obviously, we know uh, we are talking about this in retrospect many, many years later. We know not only where this relationship would eventually go, but where these lives would go. We know the DM is looking down on us from heaven now. May she rest in peace. The angel that she is, was, always will be. And so I know this, uh, you know, talking about this season in particular um, is a lot more joyful than the the future seasons uh, featuring both of them or them individually may be at times. But in you know wanting to come back and talk about each of these seasons individually, I do want to talk about them kind of individually as if we had just watched them in that moment and we don't totally always know how were we feeling in that moment or would we have been feeling in that moment without knowing where things were going to go. So obviously we give a disclaimer that, you know, these two would have eventually have a rocky relationship that, you know, a lot of benefits to both of them, but a lot of, you know, tumult within it. And, uh, you know, we're happy that, you know, CT nowadays, you know, 16 years later, whatever it is, is obviously in a really, really great place. Um, and we know what eventually would happen with DM story. Um, but we are going to discuss this, this, in, this season in particular, as we're going to do with every season moving forward and with not just with them or with, with anything that happens in any of these seasons, when there's multi-season storylines that start really cropping up because of the reoccurring cast nature of this, that's going to happen. This is one of the first big ones. We're going to talk about each of them. As if, you know, we had only seen that season, even if we are watching it way after the fact. So hopefully that's good with you. That's how we're going to we're going to do it here. So CT and DM, there's so much to talk about with this season. I mean, they it's in a season with a lot of possible storylines. This one just absolutely dominates it. 
in a pretty unbelievable way. Uh, we'd had a few seasons before this where one single storyline completely dominates, but usually that was because not just the storyline was really good, but there also wasn't a whole lot else going on. You know, you think back to the gauntlet, and Sarah Grayson's run on that was, you know, this one big, big dominant storyline. And there was other stuff, but it was other stuff that just kind of came and went and wasn't, you know, these other big ones trying to compete with this massive one. So it completely sucked the oxygen out of the room, so to speak, and dominated the season. This season is, while, you know, this one completely dominates its start to finish, there's a lot else that could have, if this wasn't a part of the season, there's a lot else that could have filled the void. No problem at all. We will talk about some of those, but we've got to go pretty in-depth on this one first. So CT and DM, I've got to say, I obviously have not seen every episode of every reality television show that there's ever been, but I can say with confidence, regardless, this is the greatest love story ever to unfold on reality television. And it, I, I can't imagine it's all that close. I mean, I would love to hear, you know, DM me at Challenge Historian, some others from shows, you know, I might not even be aware of or whatever that might live up to this. And I say that even knowing, as I said before, knowing where where their love story would go, knowing that this wasn't, you know, wedding bells afterwards or anything like that. But this season in particular, this specific season, even knowing where it would go, this season is so special, so heartwarming to watch and is just a really really gripping and entertaining and heartwarming television and a a pretty incredible story of these two people coming together and being what each of the other person needs in that moment in their life. It's the dominant story of the season as it should be. It sucks up all of the oxygen and just to recap coming in, DM status coming into this season. We had seen her for the first time on Fresh Meat the season prior. During that season, we had found out she had had a cancer diagnosis. She had fought it off, uh, finished treatment right before coming to into that season. And on the Fresh Meat reunion, we heard the great news that she was in remission and uh, you know that she thought everything was good to go. We then get into this season and find out immediately that uh, cancer had come back. She had had to do another round of treatment, this one a little more heavy and severe than the first one. She had lost her hair as a result of that um, and, you know, hadn't been able to train or anything like that. She had been in the second round of her ongoing battle with this horrible, horrible disease, and she had come out the other side. She was ready to come into the house, but she, um, you know, was in, in a mental state where she wasn't the most confident version of herself anymore, and she was looking for a way to find that and come back and compete and use the challenge the same way she had kind of used it the first time she had been around as an escape from all of that in a way to have some fun, compete, put her mind on something else and kick some ass and be a lovely human being for all of us to watch on television, which she accomplished. So let's, let's just walk down memory lane, if you will, with me. Let's, it's, it's going to take a moment here, but to recap the entire, the entire, you know, obviously watch the season, go back and rewatch and binge it right along just as I did. If you want to watch the whole thing, cause it's, it's worthwhile and you get something between these two damn near every single episode, if not a lot We're going to recap kind of the steps of it here for you, though, and add some opinions as we go. So this entire this entire story starts in episode one of the entire season and starts because CT uh, CT also up status update of him coming into the house. He comes into the house as, you know, 
definitely, while he hasn't won yet, uh, he is still as feared as any person coming into the challenge house, as comfortable in his own skin as anyone, and comfortable in his kind of feelings of where he stood in the house. And he proves it from moment one of the season when they all run into the house, the famed run into the challenge house. CT takes his time, he walks. And even though he walks and everyone else runs in, somehow, some way, there is one single full-size bed in the house in its own separate room. And somehow the last one, the guy that walks all the way into the house, is the one that ends up with that bed. I'm talking about right here. There it is. All that running around for nothing. Look at that. Take your time. I got the master bedroom. This is so pretty. Yeah. Luckily, I found the biggest bed in the fattest part of the house with all the girls. I'm already off to a good start. Hello, ladies. Now, that would be very important because that bedroom, one, the only one where you could have any sort of real privacy, and it was also right next to some of the women's bunk rooms, including where DM was, so that they could be a little closer together. Then we get into episode two, and we get the biggest moment of the season, arguably. It will definitely be a part of our moment of the season award later on, but a big moment within this the story of these two individually and together on this season. That is the Ring Toss Daily Challenge, where DM, Ring Toss Daily Challenge is, uh, there's a big mud pit. You got to swim slash walk through the mud pit to the other side, grab rings, bring them back to the other side, put them on your opponent's uh, tower to knock them out once they get five rings on their tower. One of those, one of those style daily challenges. But hopping around, swimming around in the muddy water means that they all got to get down to their bathing suits and means that DM's wig has to come off. And she has been very you know nervous and apprehensive about having to take the wig off on television, in front of people in general. Uh, the TV part doesn't even matter as much as the actual just doing it in front of the other cast members and whatnot. And she finds the courage to do so. There's a really heartwarming moment where all the other women realize like, hey, you know, this is a big deal for DM, so let's, what way can we possibly help her out? What if we uh, we all request swim, request swim caps from the production, which they do. It takes a, a while for them to round them up and get them, but they do eventually come out and provide. They figure out what the ladies are doing. All the ladies put on swim caps to kind of cover up their hair and make DM feel a little a little more comfortable, which she acknowledges is you know really really sweet thing that she does. She pulls off the wig. It's a huge moment and gets ready to start the daily challenge. CT calls her the sexy GI Jane. She ends up winning the daily challenge, which is just a marvelous moment. The whole thing, everyone's, you know, cheering for it. They don't, there's no, everyone lets DM win. DM just, they happen to get down to a final two and it's a battle between two people. She wins it. She wins on her own merit and everyone realizes how cool is this? I believe it's either her birthday or within a day or two of her birthday as well. So it's, everything's coming up DM on this day. It's, you know, as heartwarming, as amazing of a moment as the challenge has really seen. 
and it's the start of not just you know uh, you know DM story is blossoming before our eyes, but also CT getting comments in there of like, mm, man, uh, this is really impressive to watch of her, but also I think I'm kind of into this woman as well. The whole moment is. To some degree, spoiled maybe is too big of a is too is the wrong word, but uh, is uh, taken over um, be, by the Tina Beth punch that we will talk about later. But it is should be said on the reunion episode. DM does claim that she actually liked the fact that right after this big moment where everyone was paying all the attention to her, that Tina punches Beth and then all the attention goes over there instead, and that she kind of liked being out of that. She does. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, that might've been a bit of a, you know, half truth, whether, you know, it was more comfortable, but, um, you know, I think the attention was good and deserved and, uh, and, uh, you know, it wasn't spoiled in any way by Tina and Beth. It actually just from a a viewership standpoint, turns into one of the craziest episodes, uh, that we've ever had of the challenge. Cause this huge, huge thing happens, this huge heartwarming thing and immediately follows like, wait, now someone's punching someone. What the hell is going on here? So much stuff. We'll talk about that episode later during the best episode award. Follow that up. Then we get a couple more moments where we realize not them together, but how much them being there is affecting each of their uh, personalities in different ways. The biggest example of this being at the end of episode three, in the credits of episode three, we get a scene where Jody and I believe Kina and a few Robin maybe and a few other of the women, CT is passed out on his bed and they paint him up with lipstick and makeup and put bras on him and fruit on him and they just completely take advantage of this passed out guy on his bed and, you know, uh, doll him up in every way possible. They're just putting stuff on him. They're messing with them, joking with them. And you would assume if you if you came coming into the season said CT was going to be passed out one night and the women were going to put a bunch of makeup on him and bras and stuff like that. And you would assume that CT is going to get up a very very angry man and that is not going to go down well and that you know it's just going to be an ugly a lot of yelling involved everything like that. And none of it, none of it. There was such a little reaction to this happening. He was in such a good mood. He couldn't have cared less about people pranking him or joking with him that it doesn't even make the actual show itself. It barely makes the credits. And then they reference it at the reunion. And he says, yeah, that didn't matter. I was fine. I don't, I didn't care about any of that. I was just, cause I was in such a good mood. Cause I was hanging out with DM. And that's, that was a very obvious example of CT having a little bit of a change of attitude, attitude, and how he would, how he possibly would have handled that in previous seasons and possibly future seasons. But in this one, he was in such a good place, having such a good time that even being pranked like this, uh, had, he had no qualms with that. We get all the way to the sixth episode and that's when things really start to heat up. They're dancing at the club. They're the night after they're sitting outside chatting all night. They're being cute. They're being flirty. The CT is openly, you know, telling her like, when are you going to let me kiss you? You know, we're, we're, you know, we're partners in this season for the rest of the season. And they're just being super cute, super flirty, learning about each other, opening up to each other. It's all great. But that same very same night, we get CT talking with Beth and Anissa about not being sure if he should be focused on DM, focused on the game, if he's getting played or not. We see the first ever seeds of like, this feels organic, this feels real, this feels, you know, good, but like, 
we're also in this reality television show on this house and it's a weird dynamic and it's a weird game and I don't know what is getting crossed with what and how to feel about it. So we get some trepidation from CT, but then we get a few more episodes later, we see him flirting throughout and it gets all the way to episode 11 when they become partners for a daily challenge. A daily challenge is important to both of them um, to win that day, but CT couldn't be bothered to focus on the challenge. All he wants to do is flirt with DM beforehand. He isn't concerned about duels because he thinks he's too good. He's just going to win them anyways. He cares a little bit more about her than the game with every passing round of the game, where she starts to care a little bit more about the game alongside with him as each day passes in that very same episode is then when we get iconic moment number two of dm taking her wig off is number one the second of many great moments between these two or individually from these two this season the second one the big one definitely going to be in the greatest moments of all time bracket when we do that later on after finishing all the seasons and that is the kiss on the cliffs earlier a few episodes prior ct asks dm you know Hey, like when we, when, where are we going to have our first kiss? You've told me I got to wait. So when we do, when are we going to have it? She says, you can't plan it, but also the cliffs are kind of nice. Um, and so we get to the end of episode 11. She goes for a jog. He gives the nod. They go to the cliffs and history is made. DM goes for a jog. Sees me. I kind of give her the nod and then I take it to a little spot. I found the edge of a cliff. I don't know how we spotted them, but everyone in the house is sitting on the porch just staring at him, waiting for that first move. I want to cry. It's like I'm watching The Notebook. And I tell her, I don't want her to hide herself from me. It's about her opening herself up to me and being comfortable around me as her. And then she takes her bandana off. Now I feel like she's not going to hide herself from me anymore. Now, it should be stated with this, not only is it just, just the cutest moment ever, just idyllic first kiss, the whole cast is watching, you know, Wes lets DM know right afterwards that the whole, everyone's, somehow someone saw it, brought everyone out, they were all watching, everyone loved it, she, she, freaks out in a happy, fun, giddy way about like, I can't believe you were all watching. It's all so cute. But it also should be said she stuck to her guns in this moment because she says early in the season, you know, I've got a three-week rule. I'm not going to kiss any guy until I've known them or been seeing them, dating them, whatever, for three weeks. And if we do some math, we don't know for sure. We're not exact, but this is the 11th episode. The 11th daily challenge has passed. The 11th elimination has passed. At this point, they are still more or less daily challenges, meaning almost every day. They do a challenge, and the next day an elimination, challenge, elimination, back and forth. So this is at least the 22nd day that they're there, if not probably really the 24th, 5th, 6th day, somewhere around that mark, given they usually have some off days mixed in, even at this time, to do film the confessionals and whatnot. So... She did wait somewhere around three to four weeks of them being there until she relented. So hats off to her for uh, sticking to her guns and uh, to CT for respecting that and making the first kiss as epic of a moment as it was for them and for us viewing from home. They continue to hang out. They Once the first kiss is in the books, they make out a lot. After that, uh, all the power to them. 
at the club in the very next episode, she, you know, tells him how much he's impacted her life. He responds by kind of trying to talk himself down, trying to put up, you know, uh, not some boundaries, but some, uh, you know, hey, you should just be careful. Uh, know what you're getting yourself into. And then the cutest moment of uh, of the end portion of the season. After beating Evan in elimination, CT asks DM. They're out on the deck. They're hanging out. He's avoided being eliminated, avoided going home. Asks her, you know, hey, what if we just both win? We take that money and move to Brazil with it. It's said kind of in jest and fun, but also you in the moment can envision uh, that there's a, a version of this season where they both do win and maybe something like that could have happened. Who knows? We'll talk about the what ifs in a little bit. And then finally, we get to the end of the run for the two of them. That is episode 14. Uh, it starts with CT coaching DM and pole wrestle, which is a lovely little scene. She's nervous about elimination. He's talking her up. He's her confidence. He's her, her hype person. Um, but she does end up in that elimination. He talks her up on, again, hypes her up on the beforehand on the patio, you know, lets her know everything's going to be good. She's got everything she needs to win. She says how, like, you're just my voice. I'm only listening to you. It's, it's, it's a wonderful little partnership they got going on. But then it comes crashing down in the ICANN elimination versus Anissa, um, when DM does a real, real bad miscalculation and insanely bids 150 coffee bags. If you don't remember, I can, I can. The elimination was a betting game of sorts. There was a large contraption in the middle, cage in the middle of the arena that they would fill with. Sometimes it was watermelon, sometimes it was logs. logs. This instance, it was coffee bags up and you bid how many you could lift up versus your opponent until one person called the other's bluff and said, I don't think you can do that. That person then had to lift whatever bags they had bid. And if they could do it, they got to stay. If they couldn't, they had to leave. They had to hold it up for five seconds. And the bidding of this between them gets up to 100. And then Anissa says 101. And out of nowhere, DM just gets a little nervous and vaults all the way from 101 to 150. And these coffee bags, which she, after the fact, says, I thought they maybe weighed up to one pound at most, probably less. Uh, in fact, CT, during the bidding, shouts out, like, be careful. These things probably weigh five to ten pounds. I think he was a little closer to being correct. I think they probably all weighed around five pounds at least. And uh, that means 150 of them. That's a heck of a lot of weight. That's Olympic weightlifter, <laughs> deadlift kind of weight. Not... Uh, your average challenger being able to pick up, which she is not. It's a, it's a, honestly an incredibly hard uh, moment to watch her her unbe- unbelievable effort and giving it every ounce of energy she possibly has to try to pick it up. But it's very tough to watch. CT has to pick her up off the ground after losing, and they have to say their goodbyes. And in saying their goodbyes, they are you know they talk about what each of them has meant to the other one during the season. For you, DM. You're always a true competitor. Hold your head high. Hey, you gave it a shot, all right? You got 20 minutes to get your stuff. You know how it goes. The rest of you guys, see y'all next challenge. I don't want Dima to go home. I feel like if she wasn't here, I would have been stereotypical CT, tearing down the house. I miss you. After seeing her support me the way she did, I think we'll always have a special place in each other's home. <laughs> you made me really happy, and I've never, like, I feel so much better now, and I just want to say thank you. Okay. You know, if you ever need me, you can call me. I know. CT has really given me the confidence and the push that I needed to realize it's, I don't need to be shamed or scared. I feel so happy 
and so lucky and so blessed. Are you kidding me? I got to do everything I ever wanted to do and finally feel okay with being me. And it's, you can't put a price on that. So their story for this season at least ends there. More or less, we get them at the reunion. We find out at the reunion, they while they're not together, they haven't put any labels on things. They do talk every day. They still clearly have a connection. And it's another moment where, similar to the CT getting pranked earlier in the season, at the reunion, CT is just so nice about everything. They bring up some of his verbal fights he has, his DQs he had. And no, no matter what's brought up, he can't be shaken. He's clearly just so happy to be sitting next to DM on a stage again. Um, in that, you know, him and Wes are really cordial to each other about the big blow up they had. He talks about his DQs is like, ah, it's happened, whatever happened. Like, Brad, I, I smoked you though, Brad, but it's fine. And, you know, that's what was supposed to happen. That's why I deserve to get sent home. He's so nice. He's so cordial. He's so not the necessarily the CT, the attitude of CT we had seen previously or would see in flashes in times after this. And it's very clearly because of who he's sitting next to on that stage. So they're just wonderful. And that, you know, I maybe took way too long there just to re to recap line by line what happened between them this season. But it's worthwhile because it's such an unbelievably wonderful time. It's so they're just they're they're great together. They make a lot of sense. They help each other in a lot of ways. They clearly, you know, we see the seeds of why it would become a rocky, tumultuous relationship from from this point forward. But we also see the most obvious evidence and seeds of these are two unbelievably great human beings, really good people at their core. And we see just what a true angel DM DM is, was, always will be. And uh, it's a it's you know a challenge story that goes down in history as one of the one of the greatest ever told on the challenge screen. And obviously, a lot more would be told with it in future seasons to come. The final side note on this is I've got to say, just because uh, just I feel like no one ever brings it up, um, and uh, and especially doing the doing the rewatch series this way and coming right from fresh meat into the duel. I imagine it was maybe brought up a little more than in the moment, but nowadays after the fact, it's never really brought up. And that is just a quick shout out to my guy, Derek, uh, you know, Derek who extra shout out just as of recording, this got married last weekend or two weekends ago. Uh, and you know, is living a great life. Everything has worked out for my guy for certain, but, uh, it is interesting looking back and seeing that, Derek in this season on the duel is of all the seasons he was on, uh, definitely the most quiet kind of in the background, keeping to himself a bit. And I, while well, I have no idea, um, nor do I even really want to ask to bring ever bring that up from him, but we know from fresh Meat, you know, the two of Derek and DM kind of fell for each other as partners. We know we talked about on that reunion. It seemed like Maybe one person had been friend zoned a little bit after the fact, and uh, maybe had would had hoped for more. And uh, while they seem to remain good friends, I can I can imagine being in the house a few months after coming off the experience that they had together on Fresh Meat. That is Derek and DM. A few months later, being in this house and watching this uh, relationship unfold, maybe uh, maybe played a small part in why Derek was a little bit more quiet or reserved that season. So just as always, shout out to the legend that is Derek Kaczynski. But otherwise, that's CT and DM. That is their story from this season, an all-timer for sure, and by far the biggest storyline of the season. 
Next up, then, on the biggest storylines of the season, after after the iconic CT and DM relationship, there are still plenty of big storylines that went down. And this one, a little more chronologically here, the next big one we have to talk about is just Key West getting decimated and fresh meat along with that and just the ever-growing sense that rookies and the newer you are in the challenge house, the more likely you are to get sent home first right away. Often, Key West becomes the second straight season where four cast members from one season, Real World Key West, come into the house after the Real World Austin did so on Fresh Meat. And even back on Fresh Meat, if you remember, even though four of the you know 12 uh, of alumni were actual rookies from Austin. They were still targeted over the actual fresh meat on that season. So uh, it's become a thing. And this season, Key West gets that same treatment here. Why immediately they get in the house and everyone, friends and non-friends alike that have been on two, three, four seasons before all decide without even anyone having to fully say it, hey, there's four people here from a new show. One, they just got here. They don't, we, you know, they haven't earned their stripes, so to speak. We don't hear that phrase yet. That will come later from one of these Key West individuals. But we do get the obvious sense of, hey, there's four of them. They could, if they were allowed to stick around long enough, that could be a big alliance. And they just got here. They were just on the real world. We get the time to shine. Let's get rid of them right away. And then following Key West comes Fresh Meat as well, kind of having targets on their backs, being in their second ever season. So the whole season starts with Tyler calling out Johnny for the first um, first uh, elimination on the men's side. It comes down. They do the dual drawing, which if you don't remember and did not rewatch the season before listening to this podcast, I'll fill you in. The way the eliminations work on this season is the winner of each daily challenge, if it's a male dual day, the female winner of the daily challenge gets a nice prize. The male winner gets to start the draft process, if you will, where they then pick a female who is safe. That person picks a male, a female, a male, and you draft order until the last, if it's a male day, the last male left unchosen is the one going into elimination. So it mattered to always kind of have that one or two people of the opposite gender who were going to be willing to say your name in line and keep you from being one of those last people. First episode, First time we have to go through it, it comes down to Tyler and Johnny as the last, excuse me, Tyler and John as the last two people left standing. Uh, Tyler is left to be the one going into elimination, and for unexplainable reasons, he decides to just say, you know what, we'll give, the, that's what they wanted anyway, so John, come back down here. Uh, we'll We'll just go against each other which is the start of really, really blowing any chance Key West has at, at holding off this tidal wave that is coming at them because he fully allows for the fact that one of the two of them will go home where he could have picked anyone, could have picked anyone he wanted. Those reasons wouldn't be explained if ever uh, really fully explained until later on down the line, later seasons they would do together. But he picks Johnny. And uh, he then beats Johnny in I Can after Johnny inexplicably only makes him pick up like 30 watermelons or something. It's just a horrible, horrible bet on his part, and Tyler easily does it. So they send the first one home, first episode. Then Tina punches Beth, so she goes home. So Paula and Svetlana avoid having to go into the first women's elimination because there isn't one. 
Tyler then gets sent back into the second elimination, though, and where he loses to Derek. Paula goes into the next one. She loses to Anissa, and Paula only goes in because it's between Paula and Svetlana, and she openly tells. I believe it's easy in the moment. Hey, pick pick Svetlana, save her, I'll go in, it's okay. She goes in, she loses to Anissa. So three eliminations in, three of the four Key West cast members are gone. It is a complete and utter purge. Svetlana not only remains to this point, but would eventually go on to make it all the way to the end of the season, thanks to a couple clutch moves. But once basically all of Key West is gone, it becomes the Austin slash fresh meat folks who become the new targets of the alliance that is eventually coined the drama mafia beth one of her best contributions is great naming she names the four person four woman alliance of kina jody robin and dm the drama mafia they mostly uh just want beth gone that is the main main thing but they are also a part of the group then that along with a ct and a tina for the brief moment that she's there and a Derek and a Brad are all on the same page of, hey, you know, uh, we're going to look out for each other. We've all done a few of these seasons. We all, you know, should support each other. And we got rid of Key West. Great. Now let's get rid of Real World Austin. Then let's get rid of Fresh Meat people. And we'll just, that'll <clears throat> lead to the very end. Most of us will be here and we'll battle it out amongst ourselves at the very end. But it is upended slightly. Um, because there is a second alliance that comes against them. Wes, Nehemiah, Beth, Anissa, Svetlana, Casey, the six of them decide, you know, we can do something about this. We've got enough people on our side. All it will take is one of us to win a daily challenge, start the list off. We can all pick each other, save each other, throw one of them in. The problem is they can't win any daily challenges. They can't beat Jody. They can't beat Evan. They can't beat CT. Almost ever um, until late, late in the season when they would get a couple key wins. But for the moment, you know, they're still getting thrown in. Nehemiah and Wes both win an elimination, stave things off on the guy's side. And then it's eventually Svetlana who turns on Beth for starting rumors and calls Beth into elimination, wins on a DQ that we'll talk about in a moment. And that kind of lets it be known at that point of the season, about halfway through, things kind of ease up. There's no longer Austin or Fresh Meat. It's kind of every person for themselves and everyone having their one kind of partner that they count on to call out their name. And the alliances fizzle out a little bit. It also then, you know, helps that then Svetlana goes back in, takes out Kina, at which point it really truly turns into like, it's just who you paired with. Is that person going to call your name? Kind of have an alliance with one other pair who will call your name on the other side of the drawing. And a bunch of different people end up in eliminations at different point, the back half, back third of the season, but it's a big, big storyline for half to two thirds of the season that holy cow, you know, Key West comes in, decimated immediately. Austin cast, they still got a target on their back. Poor Nehemiah, you know, gets thrown in twice, goes out. Wes finds his way through the one brutal elimination he has to go through and then finds his way to a couple key wins in the later half of the season to escape going back into elimination multiple times over because otherwise he definitely would have been there. And Svetlana, she just has to go in there three times in a, not in a row, but three out of like five in the end. So it's not like she avoids it. She just wins her way out of it. So yet again, for the second or third season now in a row, we really get, I guess it really 
started, as we talked about back, Battle of the Sexes 2 was when it really started with the kernel of at the near the end, should we get rid of the rookies first and kind of put the alumni in the more veteran status you have, the higher you are on the totem pole of everything else is even that grew into actual full blown by last season, fresh meat. And now this season, the dual rookies, you're going home first, new cast members you're going home first. And your only way you're sticking around is if you win, 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 win in eliminations, the way a Wes and Casey did on fresh meat, a Svetlana does here third major storyline then is a is a a tougher one to talk about a little bit of a bummer not a little bit a lot of bit of a bummer it is uh shortened it's pretty much contained to one single episode but it is a it is a major plot point of the season along a major character on this season's arc and we've got to talk about it because we won't be talking about it in the moments of the season, because it's certainly, uh, it is an unfortunate memorable moment, but it is not a positive one. So we will not be talking about it later during the award segment. And that is the altercation. Um, that's even the wrong word. The super ugly moment from Robin towards Anissa on this season. If we still originally, we were doing a, you know, we did a, what age the best worse. And were there any warts, uh, type of segment and category, on these rewatch podcasts, we've since abandoned that, but if we still had that warts category, this moment in episode 10 would certainly be among it. We don't hear, um, it is a uh, late at night after, you know, out at the bar drinking, they come back to the house. We don't actually hear the inciting incident itself. We are told, uh, kind of what happens and uh, Robin then, uh, kind of restates, uh, all the all the whack stuff that she said in confessional a second time to fill us in on the really ugly things um, that she states. But there are comments made from Robin to Anissa that to the effect of, you know, she she's confused by Anissa. She doesn't understand. And she makes comments about Anissa's race and sexuality and all all things about Anissa. And it's uh, it's not good. It's really bad. It's really ugly. It's uh, really inappropriate. It's totally across the line, and um, it's a uh, it's well beyond a bad look for Robin. It's a really shitty thing to have done. A shitty thing to have said. Shitty thoughts to harbor. And uh, she, you know, puts all this, uh, says all this to Anissa, and then the cameras itself. We actually pick up with kind of after the initial whatever it was initially said again we get the confessional version of robin and anisa both kind of stating this is what she said but we don't see that moment in in real time but we do the cameras then pick up right after it seemingly right after that happens as anisa lets robin know how unbelievably hurtful the things she has said are how inappropriate and uh disgusting uh, the things are how she's not proud to even be associated as a woman with Robin for the things that she has just said to her. And Anissa in this moment handles this absolutely like a boss. Obviously no person. It would be great if we lived in a world where no single person would ever have to go through any of this, these prejudices, this ugliness, this just horrible commentary slung at them. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no, there's no right or wrong way to handle being on the brunt end, the victim end of some really ugly behavior. But Anissa is graceful as possible, 
lets it be known, speaks her mind immediately and to Robin directly why the things she said were not okay, how disgusting they were, make sure that Robin knows it, that everyone else around knows what has now happened and what her opinions of it are. So just can't can't applaud Anissa enough for how well she handles this, which sucks that someone has to even be so equipped to handle a situation like this well that is just such a shitty place that someone gets put into. But um, <clears throat> hats off to her for how she is able to do that. And thankfully, while the act itself is certainly a wart on the challenge, it is certainly an extremely ugly moment, unlike some moments that would come in the future, uh, this one, um, you know, this is not the not quite the first and certainly, unfortunately, would not be the last time race or sexuality or any anything of that nature would come up and become, uh, you know, a negative moment happening between people on the show. But this one, everyone does side with Anissa, both in confessional and in the in the moment. I would be interested, you know, in hearing, I'm sure she has at some point talked about this moment on different interviews she's done on, you know, on Challenge Mania, other Challenge podcasts on her own, on the Challenge official Challenge podcast that she has been hosting the last couple seasons. Um, but in the moment, at least from what we see, from the edit that we see uh, there, it is it is encouraging to see how many people in the house immediately, there's DM and Evan immediately go to Anissa to you know, talk it out with her, give her support, let it be known that, hey, we agree with you. That was just as bad as you as you can feel it being right now. We all are seeing and acknowledging that too. We get Brad being absolutely disgusted, lets it be known to Jody herself, to basically everyone in the house how, how unbelievably not okay this all is and that even as someone from... Robin's cast and good friends with her. Like this is unacceptable behavior. Um, Jody and Evan are there and they're agreeing with all of that. And so we get some real support. Uh, it seems like some in the moment, actual like support standing up for her with her there in the moment, as well as just in the confessional booth, talking about the situation they all saw to the audience. So that's good because that doesn't, that sadly, uh, sadly these couple moments like this happen again in the future. And Sadly, in those moments in the future, sometimes the person on the receiving end of this horrible stuff is not supported in the moment in confessional by production in any any sort of way. Um, they do then, uh, Anissa and Robin have a talk about it the next day, and uh, it do, it's not, you know, it, they at least have a civil discussion about it, Anissa in a, in a more once Robin is, you know, not totally intoxicated, has slept off that, they're able to re- restate their uh, opinions on the matter and what the feelings that were felt by Anissa in that moment. So they get to have that talk. And the only part that's uh, from a, you know, how could they have handled it better from production or the other cast members involved? I don't know that it was, it's a situation where you say this person has to go home because they said some horrible stuff. Um, That's just a really tricky place for the show to get into policing you know, what can be said, what cannot be said, you know, what is, you know, crosses that, where is that line? That would be an always very difficult to assess line of you said some hurtful shit, you have to go home. You know, there's a lot of hurtful shit said in this. What is across the line? What's not? Where's the line? It's be very difficult, very slippery slope. So I don't know that, you know, kicking her out or anything, but the thing that the rest of the cast could have done that they end up not doing is, they could have made sure that Robin went into the next elimination 
And instead, Brad does call Robin's name in a moment where he could have picked Anissa versus Robin. He, he picks Robin, saves her, and then Anissa ends up being the one going into elimination the next day. She calls out Robin. She beats Robin, which is a great moment to see happen. They hug it out after the elimination win. Um, and Anissa, you know, says, I will forgive you on my own time at some day, but I, you know, I'm praying for you to get the education that you need and, uh, not have something like this happen again and to get those thoughts and ideas and feelings out of your head for good. Um, and so the right outcome eventually happens that Anissa gets a moment of triumph and Robin goes home after this. But, uh, the fact that Anissa ends up being in the elimination at all is a tough is a tough one that, you know, I'm sure many of the cast members would say maybe retroactively, hey, we probably could have done her a solid um, that day and maybe kept her out and just been like, you've already you've already faced an elimination of sorts today. You've already faced hardship and obstacles in this challenge house. Why don't we give you a day off from the elimination? But overall, hats off to Anissa for handling it the way they do. Um applause to the rest of the cast members that seem to at least again from what we can see which is not the whole story it may not be true or maybe completely even more so than we think i don't totally know but from what we see seem to be a supportive environment after this happens of like hey we all recognize this was wrong we need to give anisa our support we need to also speak out openly anisa cannot be the only one saying why all this was disgusting and horrible and inappropriate and wrong we need to say it too so um glad that we got some of that it is a huge moment in the season it you know kind of lasts only for the one episode because it happens and then by the end of the episode robin is going home but uh anisa is certainly a major player throughout the season this is one of many parts of her story throughout this season um, and is one that we had had talk about in the storyline segment because it is a very memorable and very high impact moment of the season at large. Final storyline to talk about then is a bit of uh, an odd one, but it, it we're going to talk some what ifs. One of my favorite things to talk about with the challenge, with other with sports, I love talking about it with movies and TV and like careers of actors and actresses and directors and whatnot. Pretty much one of my favorite things to talk about in life in general is what ifs. What if this particular thing that could have went a different way did, what would be the domino effects of that? What would be all the hypothetical outcomes? How would our world, the world of the challenge or at large, have changed because of it? That's really, really fun to do. And uh, with the challenge, there's a lot of big, big, big what ifs in the history of the challenge, and a lot of them start right here. This season is, has more what ifs maybe than any season before it certainly, and maybe even since it as well, because of given the cast that we had this season and some of the things that happened. So for our final storyline, we're going to talk about some of the what ifs of this season, what could have been, what could have changed, how the history would have been altered with if something, just small things would have went a little different on this season before we then get to all of our awards where we'll be able to talk about some many, many more facets of the season. So let's talk. We've got five of them, five big what-ifs from this season. The first one, maybe the most inexplicable one, what if Tyler doesn't call out Johnny? What if he doesn't call out his fellow cast member, his friend, and just says someone else's name? He goes for Nehemiah or Wes or or just anyone that's not Johnny in that first elimination. 
two questions that come with this. If he doesn't call out Johnny, which would seem like most of the time that wouldn't have happened, does Tyler still win? And that means then possibly stave off Key West Doom because if he would have gone against someone non-Key West and won, they keep four people there. The other side's numbers drop by one. Maybe that slows things down, staves things off. Does anything change with Banana's season then, or does he just go home the next time? Does he just end up in the second one, go home then, and we still have the same start to his you know, illustrious career of going home early, or does suddenly that, you know, if Tyler wins the first one and maybe they throw Tyler in a second time and he, you know, wins again or loses, but Bananas ends up there by the third, fourth episode, maybe he finds a foothold and, you know, things are just a lot different. Who knows? But Tyler calling out Johnny was such a pivotal sliding doors moment for this particular season of how the Key West cast got decimated, but also possibly we're talking about Tyler, a two-time champion himself, and Johnny, an eventual seven-time champion, the GOAT of the challenge. Yes, I said it. We can debate it later. It's not for today's podcast, but uh, you know, it could change a whole lot of things. So that was a big, big, big inflection moment that happens this season. Second one, Beth DQs this season. What if she doesn't DQ? She DQs the first of two pivotal DQs in the same game. Push me. You start on opposite sides of a big log that is turning on a center point. You're both pushing it in the same direction. You're trying to push it, you know, 90 degrees around to where you can get and unclip the carabiner with a flag on it without ripping the flag out of the ground. Both Beth and eventually CT rip the flag, therefore getting DQ'd in eliminations they otherwise would have won. Beth's versus Svetlana. She moves Svetlana very easily. She gets to the flag easily, and then she rips it and gets DQ'd, but she easily has the power and obviously could have, in retrospect, just stood, braced herself, and took her time taking that thing off, not ripped it, and won. And if she would have done that, Svetlana goes home, one, which removes one of our two finalists from the game, and then two, does anyone beat Beth until the final? Does Beth make a final, an individual final, because... All of these, uh, two of the three, and really three of the three, three of the four, excuse me, three of the four possible eliminations to be played this season very much were strength and size based. That was what mattered as much as anything. The only one not being that was a sender where you had to climb up a rope, get your puzzle pieces, come down to a tangram puzzle, but push me, pull wrestle, and even I can really came down to size and strength. Beth had that over everyone in the house. And was definitely looked at as someone that, you know, if she doesn't DQ this one, any elimination you throw her into might look a lot like this one did of her just dominating and just being bigger and stronger than all the other women. So does Beth make a final and how does that change how we feel about her historically? Who knows? Huge what if to ask though. Third big what if to ask then. And this one is just purely the hypothetical possible amazing elimination that we could have gotten that we didn't. But Evan and CT face off in an elimination this season, and they are by far, with respect to Wes and with respect to Derek and Brad and everyone else who's there, Evan and CT are in a class of their own on this season on the male side of things, and uh, they end up going in against each other. Evan calls out CT late in the season to go into elimination, and they've got to draw cards, and they could have drawn pole wrestle, they could have drawn push me, but they draw a sender. And it's, you know, a kind of lackluster elimination. CT wins. Still cool the fact that these two giants go against each other in there. But if he draws pull wrestle or push me, 
do we have an all-time great elimination on our hands? Like, would Evan have won? Also, as I have to say, as dominant as CT looked at push me uh, when he eventually had to do it, um, Evan's a big, strong guy. I think he, I think Evan might have won that. And uh, also with pole wrestle, I don't know what would have happened, but the barbaric nature of Wes versus Derek this season amplified by the guys being, uh, you know, 50 to 75% bigger dudes and Evan and CT, if they would have drawn pole wrestle, just, oh my goodness, what would they both have made it out of there alive? Who knows? But the fact they drew Ascender versus pole wrestler push me, we really missed out on what could have been an iconic, iconic elimination. Fourth, what if then, and this is the, this is the big one. This is the one that is uh, not just this season, but in the history of the challenge, really, really matters to think about. What if CT doesn't DQ? He DQs very famously, last elimination of the season, push me versus Brad, same way Beth did, gets to the flag, no problem at all, quick, fast, he's yelling, he's grunting, he's doing everything, gets to the flag, rips off the flag on accident, and uh, he has to go home, and there's you know the huge fight afterwards, all that stuff. But what if he doesn't? What if he just unclips the flag he wins right like no like he definitely wins the final with respect to Wes maybe maybe not because they're the two kind of puzzle there's really the one puzzle um but I you know CT's good at puzzles like so he figures that out just as quick running wise who knows I think it's a really close match maybe it still comes down to Wes would probably get the head start in the soccer uh, match that we'll talk about in a moment um but Probably I would I would put CT as the favorite because he was definitely the dominant player of the season along with Evan. Um, but I would have given him the edge over Wes in that final. And if he then wins, you know, uh, what happens from there? First off, before we even get to that, there's no close call loss for Brad, which he ends up losing both dual seasons by mere seconds and literal half a second, one second on dual two. Mere technically wins time-wise this season, but loses because of the soccer thing. So that would have been avoided. CT and West in the final then. Um, you know, West still gets that head start. So maybe he wins, maybe he doesn't. If CT wins, though, he gets his first win. What's his life like after that instead? He doesn't have to wait another nine seasons, whatever, no, no, 11 seasons till Rivals 2 to get a challenge win. He takes that money home. Maybe he buys the place in Brazil for him and DM. Who knows? But his challenge career changes in a dramatic, dramatic fashion. Maybe he's way more content than on future seasons, and he doesn't, you know, push an easy too hard in a future final and, you know, wins that one. Who knows? But he gets off a win earlier, earlier, earlier in his challenge career. And then Wes possibly not winning. Um, what's that like for him? Cause he takes a huge break after this season of the show. Cause he's got the money he needs to marry Johanna, buy a house together. You know, that event, start his businesses that eventually, you know, we know where that would go and where he would eventually get to with that. But, uh, he doesn't come back on the show for four or five seasons. Does that instead, is he back right away again? Next, the very next season, does he win at any point? Does he and CT still become rivals on Rivals 2? Who knows? But so much, we're talking CT and West, two of the biggest names the game has ever produced, two of the most illustrious careers ever, and throw in Brad as the third in that, all three of them being changed completely based on this one DQ. It is a massive, massive what if to think about for my money. I think if CT doesn't DQ, he wins. I think that means that he and Wes no, never become rivals because they don't have the blow up that happens at the end of this. That is the beginning of them becoming rivals in any sense. 
um, and you get Brad still not a ton changing with Brad um, other than he, Brad is the, one of the one of if not the most impactful player in the history of the challenge given that how many of these what if moments and consequential moments in challenge history he has directly been a part of this one being one of the biggest of that but so many things and then the final fifth and final what if what if soccer is just not involved in the final challenge what if a penalty shootout isn't what determines a two-minute head start in the final if that is not the case then Brad wins the final. It is said definitively, we kind of get the idea during the final episode, but then it is said definitively at the reunion that Brad was faster than Wes. His total time was faster, but not by two full minutes, which is what these the head start that Wes gets from winning the penalty shootout. Wes famously had played soccer at a high level, somewhat high college high school, if not even collegiate level. Brad had basically never kicked a soccer ball before. Totally unfair way to start a one-on-one final race. But if Brad wins, changes his challenge career in a big, big way for certain. And as we said before, totally would change possibly Wes not winning this one. What happens in the immediate future with him? So, so many sliding doors moments on this season. That was definitely a major storyline throughout as we kept having these pivotal moments that very much felt like it could have been this way. A decision was made here. A DQ happened here that could have totally changed not just this single season, this single game, but the entire lives of a lot of these most famous challenge competitors and the challenge games and seasons that would come after this. Time to hand out some trophies. We got awards coming at you now. All the great awards. We do all the same ones. Pretty much every one of these seasons. Best daily challenge. Elimination. Quote. Moment. MVP. Athletic performance. Everything you could think of. We're handing out the awards and we're kicking it off as we do with the sport side of things. We're starting with the daily challenge. And because we haven't really mentioned the daily challenges yet, before I hand out the specific award for the best one of the season, some general comments on the daily challenges this season in particular. Absolute great, great mix of individual partners and team into individual daily challenges. I loved, loved, loved it. The first individual-based season, they really nailed. And one of the few things, you know, a lot of great elements of the challenge over the years, it took them a time or two of trying it till they really got it down to where the best case version of something. This is one they got right, right out of the gate. We had pure individual challenges. We had a good amount of partner challenges where you could pick your partner at any given time for that particular challenge. And then we had a few of them. We I don't think we had any single full-blown team challenge, just team to the end, but instead we had a couple that were nice mix-ups of split into two teams. You do this part first. When we're done with that part, then that winning team is splits into full individuals or pairs or both and competes for the actual win of the day. Loved, loved, loved everything about it. They nailed the mixture of those because it is more fun to have that. It adds more dynamic into it, more strategy into it, alliances into it, than if it was purely, hey, every one of these daily challenges is just you're competing by yourself alone. Also, those ones take forever to actually do those ones. Um, And so from a time standpoint and a production standpoint, it's really hard for them to pull that off. And that gives us, when they do the occasional team one or partner one, and everyone goes at the same time, and now, hey, this only took an hour today instead of nine hours, now you got way more time at the house or at the club or for other stuff to go down and happen and end up on your television screen. So great mix from that point. 
Other comment to make about the daily challenges, they are almost entirely physical this season. There are no puzzles in sight anywhere in the daily challenges this season. There's only one really silly one, which is an eating contest that is half eating, followed by uh, some running on the beach. So had a physical element to it as well. So this season, for sure, they clearly set the direction of this is where we want the daily challenges to go. For my money, they kind of there needs to be some puzzles involved. The, the literal zero puzzles involved was a little jarring to see, but uh, they could tell. You know, the physicality had been ramping up the last few seasons, and more so in the eliminations than in the dailies. Now the dailies were catching up in a big, big way, and maybe overcorrected a little too far. But amazing group of daily challenges in general, possibly the best group of daily challenges we've had to date. Five of them end up getting nominated for the best of the season. Let's talk about them all quickly here. First nominee is the only one we have discussed so far. That is Ring Toss Episode 2, the one where DM removes her wig and then wins. And on the back end of it, Tina punches Beth. That's as memorable as a daily challenge gets. And it also happened to just be a good, well, constructed and competitive daily challenge as well. Second nominee then, episode four. We're going in chronological order here. Roller Derby. They brought back Roller Derby, an incredible callback to season two when they did the outdoor version of Roller Derby with a full-blown audience. Bring back live audiences, please and thank you. But this one, indoors, uh, Roller Derby, is, is they have to do 10 laps around a track on skates, a full physicality. You can do anything you want. If you are knocked off of the track for any length of time, you are eliminated. Do whatever you want. It's wrestling on roller skates, doing a 10-lap race. It's incredible. It's brutal. It is hard to watch at times because of how brutal and dangerous it is. They are all warriors about it. The guys especially absolutely go at it. The women, a little more congenial about they go at it they there's some tackles there's some brutal behavior but there's also a couple times we're like hey what if we just take five laps and who can skate faster and we don't knock each other over for a minute here and catch our breath so they go a little back and forth the guys it's full bore the whole time it is like who could be the last one standing they can then just do their 10 laps versus uh any any sort of alliances really happening and all of it is because they very smartly announced the best prize ever in the history of prizes on the day on the daily challenges and challenge history before after in the moment ever a bmw motorcycle which all the guys are vying for so where the guys maybe it's a women's day they're taking it easy no 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 they're fighting fighting and fighting to get that motorcycle we get down to a final heat between brad and ct that is amazing wonderful so roller derby an incredible daily challenge. Third nominee, then pushover episode five. This is where they are on the plank out hanging off of a boat. They have to do one-on-one King of the Raft-esque matchups, knock your opponent off the plank in advance to the next round. Single elimination tournament. Derek, incredible run to win this one. We'll talk about it in a moment. Beth, same thing. Proves her strength advantage. Proves her kind of status in the house as everyone being a little bit scared to go up against her in the eliminations they had seen thus far. A great, great daily challenge. Fourth nominee, Dine and Dash. We referenced this one before. This is the eating contest. Not just any eating contest, though. 
This one is who can gain the most weight in 20 minutes contest, which is a hilarious conceit for a daily challenge. They split them into two teams. They give them a full buffet of, of good food. The food has been sitting out a little bit. There's some flies and stuff on it, but it's all regular good food. There's a bunch of meats, there's vegetables, there's fruits, there's desserts, there's soups, there's anything you want. And they weigh everyone in immediately before <clears throat> your team's total weights added up. They eat for 20 minutes as much as they can. Their team is then weighed again after. Whichever team gains the most weight advances to the next part of the daily challenge, which is then that they immediately have to then go run wind sprints on the beach, and the individual winner of that becomes the individual winners of the day, which running wind sprints on the beach is already difficult and hard enough, not to mention immediately after literally eating as much food as you physically can muster in 20 minutes. It's hilarious. There's this unbelievable moment between Evan and CT. They're just messing around, like, food fighting during it, stuffing food in each other's mouths. They end up winning their team anyways, so the team can't even get mad at them for kind of messing around. The whole thing's wonderful. CT DQs, a a flag-based DQ at the end of it, which is some foreshadowing. It's a great daily challenge. Fifth and final nominee, then, Sunken Treasure, episode 13. This one, they're in a pool. There's a pool set up. They all come to the top of the pool. The pool's, I don't know, 10 to 15 feet deep. Uh, And in the middle of the circular pool, uh, five feet down or so, there is an oxygen bubble where in partners, you jump in the pool, you swim down, you go in the oxygen bubble, and then one partner has to swim to one down to one side of the pool where there's an anchor with numbers on it. They have to get those numbers, bring them back up to their partner who then takes those numbers and swims to the other side of the pool and unlocks a chest which releases a soccer ball buoy uh, to the top and ends their time and they are done. And it sounds easy and conceit. You swim here, you memorize the numbers, you tell your partner they swim there, they unlock the thing, good, you're done. But it's very deep down and it's very claustrophobic because to get your air, you cannot come up above water. You can only go in the little oxygen chamber and it proves to be incredibly, incredibly hard. Only one team of the four can do it, which is Wes and Svetlana, Wes and Svetlana. Even Wes, as the big-time swimmer that he is, admits how incredibly hard it is in the holding your breath and the pressure being that low. It's all very, very difficult. It's really great to watch, though. The camera work is exceptional for the first time. They, they'd done a few underwater stuff before this, but it always been in the sea, and the camera work was okay. But this one being in the pool, both the cameras they could set up were really, really good. We got a full picture. We were watching from down below the water at all times, and the cast itself could watch from up above, which was really cool. And it was the final eight people, so winning at this point really, really matters. This is where eventually Evan and CT end up in elimination versus each other. Wes saves himself, as does Svetlana. So great, great, great daily challenge. Those five, all exceptional of a season full of wonderful ones, but the award has to, has to, has to go to ring toss, DM, removing the wig, winning, Tina Punch and Beth, the whole thing. It's a good daily challenge. All kinds of drama moments. Everything happens around it. It's got to be the winner, hands down. As to the second of the sporting events, the elimination, the best elimination of the season, another group where we got some really memorable, great eliminations this season, although the actual winner is pretty easy to pick. Some comments on the elimination in general before we get to the nominees. There's only four possible elimination rounds this season, three of which are awesome. 
I can is the one that is maybe not so awesome. We referenced what that is before the bidding to lift up the weight one time. I don't love a daily, uh, excuse me, an elimination where only one person gets to ultimately do the thing, uh, as many of them in the moment lament that it's not that fun. Um, it's not a great way to get eliminated, but the other three are all great. Ascender is a great puzzle with a little climb based in it. Uh, pole wrestle, obviously amazing and push me turned out to be amazing as well. The invention of pole wrestle, you know, really vaults in the fact we get it four times here, uh, really vaults the eliminations as a whole this season into one, you know, the best, the best we've maybe ever seen. And it's really nice that even though there's only the four possible ones, we get a really well balanced, uh, you know, they're drawing them every time, but they, it turns out that in their drawing, they end up, we get, you know, four rounds of pole wrestle. We get three rounds of push me, three of ascender, three or four of I can. So it's very balanced. It doesn't end up just being one over and over and over again. The way, although it wasn't actually in the end, the same elimination over and over again, back on the gauntlet where we had the wheel, it was captain's choice, captain's choice, captain's choice, captain's choice. And it seemed very odd that on a wheel with like seven or eight options, it every time landed on captain's choice, like six out of eight times in a row or something crazy like that. But this one, we get a much more balanced. I in general like the idea of these are the eliminations for the season. You will be drawing one of these. I I like the element that adds into the idea of the season. Um, as long as one or more of those are really great. And if all four of them were great, I'd really, really like it and be even be something I'd want to maybe see back in the world of the challenge in a future season. But Onto the award itself. We have one, two, three, four, five nominees. And what do you know? They come from the two games that are by far the best of the games this season. First nominee, chronological order. Anissa beating Paula in pole wrestle. Episode four. Paula tells Easy, as we said before, to save Svetlana, send her, and she calls out Anissa then. This pole wrestle is the first ever pole wrestle in the history of the challenge. That is a meaningful moment in challenge history the first ever pole wrestle and it's an epic battle it goes for over eight minutes it is brutal all the way the thing that should be said about this and all of the pole wrestles that we're about to discuss um, on this season the only difference between this initial version and what would become later the kind of standardized pole wrestle is that they had to be on their knees at all times in this particular season they were not they never started standing they were not allowed to stand up if anyone stood up for too long for more than a second or two to just kind of get their balance or move their body then tj would kind of call a break and you know warn them and whatnot so they had to stay on their knees the whole time that was the only real difference but it's still just as brutal still people throwing each other around beating each other into the ground trying to rip that thing away paula and anisa absolute battle very very memorable throwdown between the two of them second nominee then Wes versus Derek in pole wrestle Wes wins it is insane it is I once upon a time wrote a blog post declaring this being the moment that the challenge officially became a sport I still mostly stand by that take it, it's a it's a longer transition there isn't one single moment but this is maybe the biggest inflection moment during the transition of the challenge into full-blown sport um, is Derek and Wes in the the bloodbath that, you know, without actual, I don't think anyone fully ends up bleeding by the end of this, but you get what I'm trying to say here. Uh, this is just such a brutal matchup, such an iconic matchup, and uh, it's a true war between two true warriors, and at the end of it, they both end up just laying 
face down on the ground or back on the ground, staring up, trying to catch their breath, trying to comprehend what they just put their bodies through. It's an all-timer. It's one of the greatest eliminations in the history of the show and one of the most memorable for sure. Third nominee, then another pole wrestle, third and final pole wrestle nominee. That would be Brad beating Easy. It's just great stuff. Brad overcomes the size disadvantage. Um, I'd be interested to know Brad versus Easy in the later years if, when they were allowed to stand up. Uh, if that would have changed things in any way, because Easy definitely went with the strategy here of I'm way bigger than him. I gotta like, you know, either get on top of him somehow or I get on top. He kept continually got on top of the pole where he could just have the power position and make Brad kind of hold onto it from back, but without being able to then stand up in that position and force Brad's body away from the pole. It doesn't really totally work out in his favor. Brad wins. It's a great battle. Uh, it's a very interesting one. It gets nominated here for the best limb of the season. Fourth nominee then, Svetlana beating Kina in Push Me, episode 12 the best battle of any of the push me that we get this season. Uh, Kina maybe fucks up her foot or maybe just plays up a cramp at the end for sympathy. It depends on who you ask Svetlana or Kina or some of the other bystanders, but this one goes forever. They are just holding ground. They are locked in a battle and it truly becomes one that's just whose body is going to fail them first, which Kina's eventually does that it leads to Svetlana winning, but the heart shown, the battle shown, and the fact that this was kind of a matchup of the two alliances in the house on the female side going head to head for the first time in Svetlana getting a win and getting, uh, the, or I guess technically the second time Anissa Robin, but that felt, you know, because of everything we talked about that happened with them, that didn't feel like the alliance is going up as so much as someone wronged someone. And now, uh, the one person has to kick them out of the house, but Svetlana beating Kina and push me gets nominated fifth and final nominee. Obviously then we talked about it before Brad beating CT and push me unbelievably memorable. The DQ, um, after seeing Beth do the same thing after seeing TJ harp on, you cannot rip the flag, cannot rip the flag. Plus CT having a flag based DQs a few dailies prior foreshadowing, having DQ'd multiple times in daily challenges that he thought he won that season all leading up to this moment where his season is ruined because of a DQ that he had literally seen someone else already do the exact same thing. Should have been ready. Got too excited. Wes and CT afterwards verbally go at it. It gets ugly. The whole thing, it's a big, big moment. It's a massive inflection point in challenge history, as we previously discussed, and it gets nominated for the best elimination of the season. But of those five nominees, I think it's clear. Even as memorable as Anissa and Paula is, as memorable for all kinds of reasons as Brad versus CT is, as interesting and fun as Brad and Easy and Svetlana and Kina's matchups are, there is just no topping Wes and Derek's pole wrestle on this season. It's... It's going to be one that when we eventually someday do the greatest eliminations of all time, it's going to be in whatever the final number that we decide from, it's going to be right there along them. It's it's a true all-timer. Um, maybe the second ever that we've had, I would throw Abram and Brad uh, in the Inferno, the first ever balls in matchup along with this one is probably the the most brutal for sure, the biggest headbangers for sure. And as someone who does like the headbangers, you know, um, they are catering to me with those probably the two most memorable uh, eliminations we've had to date, the two greatest we've had, absolute battles, absolute wars. West beating Derek and Paul Russell wins the award for the best elimination of the dual season.
On to our final sport-based award to give out the best athletic performance in a season full of them. Holy cow. A lot of them we've already even referenced here, um, but we've got to call out. We got three, six, seven different performances to call out here. This season was truly not just because they upped the daily challenges into the most physical they've ever been. We get these headbangers in the eliminations. There's a lot of opportunity out there to have amazing physical performances, but we also just had a cast ready to excel um, and just does so. In spades. So let's run through the nominees. First one, again, as always, chronological order for these nominees. Big Easy in Pass with Care. Pass with Care was a daily challenge where two partners had to, from different platforms or opposite platforms, had to go across this plank, wooden plank bridge and get to the other side, passing each other in the middle. The very first run, you had to do it staying on your feet at all times. And zero people got to the other side. Not zero teams, zero people, zero individuals. No one could do it standing upright. So then they have to redo the entire challenge and say, okay, you're allowed to crawl. You're allowed to put your hands down, your butts down, whatever you want to do to get across this thing. Just do it. Someone has to get across to win and big easy is the only one in the second round to still say nope i'm running it's going to be faster i'm not crawling across this thing he runs across the planks he gets about two-thirds of the way across before he then does stumble and he falls but he falls onto the planks crawls up onto the board and is the fastest by far across this thing it's a sight to watch and uh it's a memorable performance when no one else could do the thing everyone got two chances at it no one could do it except for big easy at least no one could do it walking slash running it's incredible the balance the twinkle toes uh moniker that he eventually has in his challenge career definitely starts with this one second nominee brad in roller derby we referenced roller derby before brad beats ct in the final round wins himself that bmw motorcycle well deserved and, and it's a head-to-head victory versus ct who also really wanted that motorcycle and a head-to-head physical Wrestle on roller skates, Brad versus CT. Brad came out on top. Some really good strategy from him. He withstands CT's beatings in the early laps. He gets to a place where he just says, all right, I'm going to wait right behind CT. I'm going to stay 5, 10 feet back so that CT thinks I just should keep skating here. They get to the final lap. Brad comes up from behind, grabs CT's waist, throws him down. They both end up falling, but Brad finds his way back on his feet quicker, gets in front, gets that final lap win. It's amazing. Hats off to him. It's so great to see him win the motorcycle, which we should uh, point out no better time than now. It is interesting and kind of a nice consolation that in the first season where only one person, one male, one female, win money in the end, and Brad and Svetlana get second place overall but get $0 for it. Brad and Svetlana are the two winners of the BMW motorcycle, by far the best prize of the season and maybe ever in the history of the challenge, so that at least it kind of works out nice that the two second-place finishers both are the ones who won the best prize during the season. Third nominee, then Derek in pushover. This is the king of the hill on the plank off the side of the bri- or side of the boat we talked about before. In this round, one-on-one, knock each other off a plank. Derek beats CT in round one, Big Easy in round two, and Brad in round three to win the King of the Raft competition. That's an incredible run. To have beaten any of those three in this competition would have been impressive. The fact he did all three of them in a row, boom, 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 and the way he does, especially Easy, he just gets low, shoves right into Easy's chest, and Easy just 
big dude flies right back off the thing. It's incredible. Derek's run of beating those three CT easy Brad in a row is uh, going to be tough to beat. Trying to do so, though, is CT nominee number four. And CT, we're also going to throw Evan in with it in Flying Leap, day, episode six, Daily Challenge. Two platforms about six, seven feet apart in the air with flags on either side. You had to jump from one platform to the other, grab a flag, jump back, place the flag, jump over, and you got, I don't know how long it was, two minutes, three minutes to jump back and forth as many times as you could, collect as many flags as you could, and every single person that does this challenge jumps and dives onto their stomach. They think the only way I can clear this gap is to jump and dive on my stomach and then get up, grab the flag, and jump and dive back. CT is just like, nah, watch this. And two foot jumps back and forth, just an easy leap, a little bunny hop across, grabbing flags. He's flying. He gets 35 flags. Evan, who is going against him in the moment using the belly flop strategy, somehow pulls off 33. He does it way faster than everyone, too, which is why he gets a kind of half nominee here. The next closest is like 23 or 24. Like, it's not even close how much CT and Evan go in front of everyone in CT. It's the moment where everyone's like, holy shit, that guy's just a different animal than us. No one else has even thought about trying to do this flat foot jump. He's doing it, and he does it 30 times in a row or whatever. It's insane. It's impressive. It's one of the best athletic performances of the season. Then episode five, we've got Big Easy in I Can. The only, the best moment of any of the I Can uh, eliminations that we see comes from Big Easy versus Nehemiah. They are, their version is played with logs and they start bidding and they're bidding and they're bidding and they're bidding. And eventually Easy scales the bid up and throws 165 out to which TJ has to say, oh, uh, 165. Um, that's all the logs we have. Uh, so, uh, I guess we're going to have to come up with a new rule that says you bid the maximum amount of logs that we literally have here. So you've got to do that. Uh, no more bidding to be had and, uh, easy does it and easy does it not easy, but makes it look easy as heavy as that is, um, gets it done. Seems like he could have done a decent amount more. Uh, and it's, it's awesome. It's a great moment for him. And it's a kind of just a hilarious and impressive moment where, you know, TJ just has to stop at proceedings and be like, Oh, uh, that's a lot of weight. Uh, and we didn't think anyone would bid that high. So that's all the logs we have. So that's where we're going to end this very, very impressive moment. Big Easy's second nominee for best athletic performance of the season. Then we've got Wes in pole wrestle. Obviously, we referenced it before. Beating Derek is no joke. There's no explanation needed why Wes in that performance and that win gets nominated for the best athletic performance. And then finally, Wes and Svetlana as a duo in Sunken Treasure. We talked about before, the only team to complete an incredibly difficult mission. That gets them a nominee. But of those seven nominations, got to give the award to my guy, Derek, Beating CT Easy and Brad one-on-one in a wrestling competition essentially is such an impressive run of matchups and uh, really is this on top of the wrestling-based victory over Cyrus a few seasons prior on Gauntlet 2 is really where, you know, Derek's reputation as this bulldog, as this all-heart going to be, if he, you get, if he gets to put his hands on you, it's going to be nearly impossible to beat. It makes it all the more impressive when West does pull off the pole wrestle victory later in the season. But this run, he goes on to beat those three people on these, se- these seasons in particular in that, uh, in that daily challenge. That's the best athletic performance of the season. Hands down.
Moving into the show side of things, we started with best quote, a solid season on the quote front. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven nominees to throw at here and a good mixture again of we got some jokes, we got some wit, we got some just challenge explanations that could be used for any given season at any given time. You know, we love those here. And we got some commentary, some kind of shit talking, kind of just honest commentary about other competitors, which is where we start things off. Chronological order, as always. Kina in episode two is our first nominee for the best quote, speaking about Beth and the seriousness with which she speaks about her dislike for Beth just had is just memorable to me and had me in stitches, even if it wasn't meant to be a funny comment. I'm gunning for Beth because I don't trust her. Honestly, I have never, ever seen a more evil, conniving individual in my life. I'm uncomfortable by her presence and feel, like, nauseous when she's around. That really just does sum up how this season prior seasons with Beth, how a lot of the other cast felt about having her around. So that gets nominated. Second nominee then is Evan in the seventh episode. He has become full-blown paranoid. Alliances are going around. He finds himself talking to Wes, of all people, about the game and strategy. And he he has a nice little in-the-moment, in-the-field comment that deserves nomination for the best quote. Take it away, Evan. They should pad the walls and give me a mouth guard to sleep with because I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I'm becoming completely paranoid. I want to be in every conversation at the same time, and I don't want to be in any of them at all. I'll never be able to re-enter into the normal world again because I'm so freaking paranoid. Don't be paranoid, dude, because that's going to get you screwed. <sighs> then comes Brad. Brad and Beth, a kind of dual nominee here, a little back and forth that is had between them. Beth, you know, she starts... Starts some stuff between Brad and Svetlana, just kind of typical Beth uh, things that actually, after the fact, not a part of the quote I'm about to play, but Brad does uh, in great, great way as Beth eventually leaves the room calls. It's just textbook. It's just a little textbook, Beth, that you come in here and just try to start a little rumor that starts some shit and some drama between two people who you actually claim to be working with. So she, uh, she and he have a little back and forth. It's great. Here it is. I can't control what some crazy Russian chick says to you, okay? If I was trying to be sneaky or plant something, believe me, I'd admit it. I you heard said you no. got a broomstick okay, and you fly around on at night. Is that true? I heard that. I heard someone saw you last night. Is that true? Uh, no. He starts telling me that I fly on a broomstick. Well, you know what, Brad? At least I have something between my legs. This made your night. And you know what? It, don't, it doesn't even bother me. Really don't. Why would this make my night? Are you crazy? Because it's kind of textbook, Beth. Just a little bit. It's a little textbook. And Brad is just the perfect person to deliver the pseudo deadpan sarcastic. Like I heard around, I heard you ride around on a broomstick at night. Is that true, Beth? Is that true? Because you know, it just it's just perfect being delivered from him. Next nominee, then DM episode eleven. Her and CT have officially kissed on the cliffs. Uh, Wes lets her know everyone watched, uh, cameras watched, we watched, everyone, everyone watched. She can't believe it. She's, you know, embarrassed by it, but in the cutest, most fun way. And she lets it be known her, her, uh, diagnosis, her, her grade, if you will, for how that kiss went over. Take it away. DM. It was definitely number one ever best kiss in the world. 
just the cutest there's ever been. Then next nominee is Wes in episode 12. Uh, Truer words about himself, self-reflective words have never been spoken, but on the back of Svetlana getting a victory in the elimination and one of his very few allies in the game sticking around, he has this to say. Once again, I'm extremely ecstatic that Svetlana won because I got to keep my girls here. One, because I like them, and two, because they're voting for me and I'm a selfish bastard. We're going to take advantage of this and ride the wave all the way to the end. A selfish bastard he may be within the challenge house, but he's always been willing to admit it, and that's why we love him. Then comes Anissa in the 13th episode. Um... She she has a comment about a life lesson, uh, you know, that was everyone learned at a young age uh, regarding Evan messing up his Tangram puzzle. We'll let you hear that lesson here from t- uh, from uh, Anissa now. Oh, it works. This corner is all up. Evan is not so cool under pressure. We've learned from young ages that you can't jam the bunny rabbit's tail where the ears go. Did we all learn the lesson about jamming the bunny rabbit ears where the tail goes? I, I you know, I'm a public school kid here. Uh, you know, I don't don't remember that one being in the curriculum, but maybe maybe it was or maybe it should have been. Maybe it clearly should have been for Evan um, in that moment. And then our final nominee for the best quote of the season is TJ. Uh, this is uh, both a quote of the year nominee and also will eventually be a not kind of a smaller moment nominee uh, coming up in the next award. But TJ, episode 15, CTDQs, he blows up. Him and Wes have his argument. Brad just kind of stand there by the side. CT and Brad exchange a little bit of words. Eventually, TJ has to calm down CT and tell him, like, hey, we're like, get it in check. We're getting out of here. Send you home. And then lets Brad know after the words, gives him some words of encouragement at the end. Take it away, TJ. You won tonight's rule, fair and square. Let me tell you something. It is fair and square. You won this T-Mobile three sidekick and a year service. You're going to the finals, homie. All right? Good things happen to good people. That's the rules. And we've now come over the years to know that truly is the ethos of TJ. What an unbelievable human being he is, but uh, meaning it when he tells Brad, you know, good things happen to good people. Those are the rules I just love having having that ethos be you know put forward in the challenge world and uh, and getting to help Brad know in this moment, hey, like don't don't let anything tarnish the celebration. You're in the final. Good things happen to good people. Like you deserve this. You're a champion. Like let's go. Loved everything from that from TJ. If I've got to give one of these people the award for the best quote of the year, I'm gonna give it to Anissa. Learned at a young age, can't jam the bunny rabbit's ears where the tail goes just because it's funny and confusing and interesting. And uh, and yeah, just loved everything about that quote from her. As for the Dan Renzi Award for the Confessional King or Queen of the Season, I've got to give that to Wes. Uh, Wes, you know, has the one nominee here, but is also, he has the most uh, confessionals this season. Overall, we talked earlier on kind of the uh, stats evolutions of the game. West becomes, you know, the cam- the camera loves West. They give him as much time to talk as he wants. He makes good use of it here. He says interesting things. He's a good narrator. He's funny. Um, he's self-reflective. Uh, everything about it. He gets the Dan Renzi Award for the confessional king of the season. Anissa gets the best quote of the season. 
On to the most iconic moment, the best moment, the most infamous moment, the most memorable moment, whatever way you want to say it, the iconic moment of the season award. We have one, two, three, four, five possible nominees. Before we get to them, five smaller moments that we just want to shout out because we haven't probably talked about them anywhere else. A few of them we actually have. Uh, CT getting the lipstick and bra put on him on the episode three credits is just a fantastic, hilarious prank moment. CT running for the win across the beach in episode eight and then flexing on everyone in his confessional uh, shirtless, just in his brief CT running full speed across the beach when he didn't have to. He was going to win no matter what. And then Evan kind of shouts out like, finish it strong, finish it strong. And CT puts on the afterburners and just you, the athlete, you could tell the athlete visually stunning, great to look at, then flexes in the, uh, the confessional that happens immediately afterwards. It's just all, it's all a wonderful moment um, for those uh, CT stands out there. Definitely a memorable one. CT and Evan's food fight during the eating challenge uh, referenced it earlier, but they, they have a hilarious little back and forth. They're hiding food in their pants. They're shoving in each other's mouths. They're throwing it at each other. Keena's getting upset at them, but they're also eating more than anyone else. They're just devouring food. It's fantastic. Uh, TJ telling Brad, good things happen to good people. That's the rules. We just played that for you. That moment deserves recognition here as one of the best smaller moments of the season. And then finally, the fifth and final small moment nominee is at the episode 15. Also, TJ was really just... Uh, on his best on his best performance in the dual elimination to end the season um not only with you know talking Brad up after that one but then Anissa loses the final elimination to Svetlana uh the one uh, early in a long line of unfortunately Anissa's kind of curse if you will of losing the last elimination before the final but when she does um they play I can she can't lift it uh, TJ acknowledges what a great season she has had, what a great competitor she is. And both Anissa and Svetlana are shivering the whole time. It is chilly out that night and neither of them brought their coats or anything. And so TJ gives Anissa his jacket after losing the elimination. She walks off with it as kind of consolation prize or whatever. I think there, there clearly had been some sort of comment about it previously in the season that we didn't see, uh, just based off the interaction that we do see. Um, but it's a wonderful little moment. I would love to one day ask Anissa, did you keep that jacket forever? That's pretty cool to have TJ give you one of his like Fox racing jackets right off his back as a consolation prize for being a kick-ass competitor. So those were the small moments of the season that deserved a quick shout out. As for the five nominees for the iconic moment of the season, We've uh, we've discussed all of them, so we can run through them pretty quickly here. DM taking off her wig and winning the daily episode two. Uh, that entire daily challenge, entire moment around it before, after taking off the wing, learning about more about her cancer story and where she was at with that. All of that, obviously, incredibly iconic, memorable, wonderful moment. Second nominee, then Tina punching Beth immediately after that, at the end of episode two slash the start of episode three, we see it twice. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Never has there been a more innocent version of someone punching someone in the face who they desperately wanted to punch in the face. Uh, it happens uh, and it's instantly over. No one holds anyone back afterwards. They both just walk the other way. They still kind of talk their shit, but Tina knows in the moment I'm, I'm getting kicked off. That's fine. Beth doesn't try to fight back knowing like, I don't want to get kicked off too. There's no you know worry that it's going to happen again or anything. It's very, 
it's very interesting to watch back compared to like what if someone punched someone now a days on the show, what would all go down and how dramatic it would be and everything. Um, you know, TJ tell walks Tina to the side, tells you, you know, this is going to happen. She of course says, you know, is worth it. Supposedly in the moment she says it's worth it. It's the final thing on her to do list. And, uh, it's the end of a little mini rivalry between those two women. It's a huge moment. It's super memorable for sure. Then we get West versus Derek pole wrestle. Obviously that's got to be nominated for the moment of the season as well. We talked about it at length before. Don't have to again, fourth nominee DM and CT kissing on the cliffs episode 11. Of course, as we said before, Truly iconic moment, truly wonderful, warms your heart every single time, just the whole thing before it. The kiss afterwards, her reacting to everyone, having watched the whole thing is just fantastic. Fifth and final nominee then has to be CT getting DQ'd in the push me and the fallout from that, him going wild, him and Wes going at each other, the whole thing. But of those five extremely memorable moments, of which multiple will likely make the eventual bracket for the greatest moment, the most memorable, iconic moment in challenge history, only one of them can win the best of this season, and that has to be DM and CT's kiss on the cliffs. Let's go with the nice one. Let's go with the loving one, the wonderful one, the heartwarming one. That is the one that wins the award. All of that brings us to the best episode of the season. Five nominees for that one. Starts with episode two, Welcome to Brazil, part two. Uh, they continued the two-part opening episodes of the seasons this one is welcome to brazil part two and in episode two everything we previously talked about dm's wig removal and daily win tina punches beth at the end that's a whole lot going on um in one single episode second nominee episode four which is the titles of this season uh they go real literal this episode is called paula versus anisa wouldn't you guess that's the episode that Paula and Anissa play pole wrestle. It is the introduction of pole wrestle into the challenge. That is also the roller derby daily challenge. It's a great episode. Third nominee then, and until next time, Derek, episode nine. That is obviously, as you can tell by the name, the episode Wes and Derek did their pole wrestle in. Fourth nominee, friend or foe, episode 11. This has DM and CT kissing on the cliffs, has a good daily elimination, the whole thing. And then episode 15, the final four, is the episode with the final two eliminations, CT DQing Anissa having her loss, Svetlana's win into the final. Those are your five best episodes of this season, but far and away the best one, the highest tied for the highest rated episode of all time to date. A full-blown A is episode two, Welcome to Brazil, part two. So that is easily, eh, not even easily, because the other one's A minus three B blesses, Strong, strong episodes this season, but episode two, Welcome to Brazil, part two, full-blown A, best episode of the season. We now come to the big ones, the season MVP and the rookie of the season, starting with the rookies. Unlike our uh, previous season on Fresh Meat, where it was damn near impossible to separate rookie and MVP because there was freaking 16 rookies or whatever, this season a little bit easier to do the rookies. There were only five in the end, and so 
the top three in the rookie of the season, pretty easy to nail down. Tyler in third, Nehemiah in second, Svetlana in first. Obviously, Svetlana gets all the way to the final, second place, 3-0 and in elimination. Some good confessionals, good storylines along the way. The whole thing wasn't even close. Obviously, she is the rookie of the year. Shout out to Nehemiah for you know having a solid season, getting halfway through, an elimination win under his belt. And Tyler, you could see even... In the brief, you know, three-episode run that we get, all the seeds of why Tyler is a Hall of Fame challenge cast member were there, and you could tell, and did get the one elimination win versus Johnny that eventually leads to a rivalry between the two that would result in a championship for the two years down the road. So those are your best rookies. Now let's talk MVP. So as always, we're going to do the kind of where were you is the gone too soon, and then our top five in the MVP voting and give our chance to give our kind of last comments on some individual performances from this season, starting with the, where were you, uh, the, where were you category? We kind of just use as, you know, people we know from previous seasons or future seasons in retrospect that are, you know, MVP caliber cast members that we maybe just didn't get, uh, much from this season and leaves us asking the question, where were you? The only real one in this category this season is Derek, who uh, performs well, you know, from physical standpoint, the game standpoint. But again, as we said before, is a little bit in the background, not uh, not front and center in most really any storylines, uh, not hearing a lot from him. And as someone who's coming off an MVP performance in uh, recent season on the gauntlet two. Uh, you know, we just, we got to slot him in here just on reputation of former MVP. Didn't get as much from him. That's going to happen. You can't be an MVP every season, but he gets mentioned here as do Tyler bananas and Paula. Obviously they all three just get sent home right away in Key West, but we know in later seasons to come that these are three MVP caliber cast members that definitely without thinking too hard through it, I know all three of them at some point will end up in a top five MVP voting for a season, if not multiple seasons. So they get mentioned here as well. Gone too soon, Tina, another former MVP enters this season with a chance to be the first ever double MVP, two-time MVP that we have. Not so much when you punch someone in the second episode and get sent home, you're uh, gone way too soon, but it was a memorable couple of episodes she had. So, uh, you know, we'll miss you, Tina. This is Tina's uh, final until many years later now in the All-Stars World uh, final uh, season of the Challenge flagship in the moment. Whether we knew that or not, she kind of makes mention of that in the reunion, kind of not, it's hard to tell. But on to the top five, the true Highest competitors this season, the best cast members, the most impactful, the highest value add, the MVP candidates. And of our top five, it's it ends up being a top six because in a tie for fifth, we have to mention both Evan and Jody because both Evan and Jody are dominant this season. And uh, the four people that come in front of them deserve, they got more votes, they got more points, they uh, they end up higher on the ballot, but I couldn't. I couldn't leave either Evan or Jody totally off the ballot. So they come in tied for fifth. Jody obviously ends up winning this season of the show. That's an important thing to mention. She also wins seven of the 15 daily challenges that she could participate or possibly win in this season. That's pretty insane to have pulled off. That is some real, real dominance. And even in a couple of the ones she didn't win, she came in second. Um, and then on Evan's side, same thing. He won six of 13 
uh, daily challenges that he was in and got second in multiple others. He was absolutely dominant this season as well. Ends up losing the CT in the elimination, so doesn't end up in the end. But both of them, uh, you know, the, they end up tied because even though Jody ends up winning, she's not very impactful in the confessional booth. She is a pretty low number of confessionals, the least by far of the four that make the final and really of the six or eight that make that final final uh four on either side of the men's and women's and Evan on his part though is highly impactful from a storyline comedy confessional side of things. So they both come in fifth. Then we get to the top four and we got Anissa in fourth great season for Anissa, multiple elimination wins from her in this season. Uh, three and one in eliminations in this season, four total eliminations in one season. That's a lot to have to go through. Obviously, we talked before she had to go through that ugly moment from Robin, handles it incredibly, incredibly well, and thankfully got some support system uh, in place for her there from the others around her. She's a great narrator in this season, good confessionals, quote of the year, great competitor. It really is a big, big season, a kind of star turn for Anissa, who has been a wonderful cast member, a solid cast member the few seasons she was on before, but this is where Anissa vaults up into the full-blown star category, a very great season for her. Third place, then, is uh, the coming off of a second place MVP finish in fresh meat. He now comes in third place in this is second season. That is Wes. Wes, obviously the camera loves him. We talked about that. The most confessionals, the Dan Renzi confessional king of the season award winner, the winner, individual winner of the season. He beats Derek in pole wrestling this season. He does while he doesn't get to pull any real true West level master manipulations or strategy, he tries and ultimately he saves himself by winning a couple daily challenges, which he gets his first ever daily challenge wins in this season. Two of them in clutch moments at the end of the season. So there's that. And all in all, he makes a case. He, he definitely has a case to say he is the MVP of the duel. Same as he had an incredibly big case that I still don't know if I got right on fresh meat, but he comes in third because the two people that come before him have to be the top two MVP candidates for this season. And it's tough to pick between them, but I did. And it actually kind of wasn't all that tough in the end. Second place goes to DM first place. The MVP of the season goes to CT. Obviously the two of them are heavily intertwined this season. As we discussed at length, their entire love story that unfolds during this season. That is the main thing that vaults both of them to the top of these MVP standings. The thing that separates them from each other is while the love story between them is very much from both of their angles, the story is as much about DM and her battles off the show that she's going through as her growth on the show and healing on the show, um, as well as CT's, you know, growth and changes and everything he's going through on the show. But when you then throw in over top of that, the competitive standpoint, CT out here winning, uh, let's see, winning four daily challenges, couple more he would have won if not for Olymp- or if not for disqualification, beating Evan in the day in the elimination and then losing the iconic DQ elimination to Brad CT's really, uh, he lasts a little longer in the season. And if I have to pick between the two of them, it's a little bit more about him 
and his coming out party and his full turn into I'm not just a star now. I'm as big a star as this show has right now, right here, today, this season. Make no bones about it. And so on the back of all of that, DM gets second, CT gets first, CT becomes a challenge MVP, even if he is yet to become a challenge winner. He is a winner in this single respect. CT is your MVP of the duel. We've handed out an MVP. We've talked storylines, all the awards, all the evolutions, everything we can. It comes then down to this. We must grade the season. We must place it in the pantheon of challenge seasons for all time compared to where we've been and where we may one day go. Let's do that now. Same as we've been doing. We've got four subgrades. We'll grade the male cast, the female cast, the sport pillar, the show pillar, That'll help us come up with then the overall grade. Let's run through each of the subcategories now. First up, we've got the female cast grade. As we have been doing, we will do a, you know, the kind of, we list these in the heavy hitters, the solid contributors, and the duds. And with this season's female cast, there are no duds. There are only heavy hitters and there are only solid contributors. The heavy hitter side, we got Jody, Anissa, DM, Beth, Paula, Tina. That is a lot of star power. And then the solid contributors, Svetlana, Kina, Robin, and Casey. Um, you could even make a case for Robin and Casey. And even I personally would make the case for Kina, maybe even being in that heavy hitters category. But if we're being super honest and actually trying to really have some separation between they're they're in the solid contributors, which is still a great place to be. But that means no duds of the 10 women, six heavy hitters, four solid. That leads us to giving it a full-blown A minus for the female cast side, which puts it uh, historically tied for as good of a female cast as we've ever gotten, tied with Inferno 2 and with the Gauntlet 1 and the Challenge 2000 all also pulled A-minuses on the female casting side. So in rarefied air, bursting into that A range, which is that all-time great as good as it gets style range. If you remember, I am a harsh grader. It's really difficult to get anything in the A's, so don't let that minus fool you. An A minus is an incredible grade to get. Then to the male cast side, same story. Zero duds, an incredible place to be. Heavy hitters, we got Wes, Brad, CT, Evan, Derek, Kenny, Tyler, Bananas, That's insane that all eight of them in the same cast. And then Easy and Nehemiah, the only ones I'm putting down in the solid contributors category. Eight out of 10 heavy hitters, the other two solid contributors. That's a full-blown A. It's hard to imagine a cast getting better than this. It is not the first time the male cast, as we've talked about at length, casting for either the for one reason or the other some uh people's personal choices of wanting to come back others of just how they kind of uh built up male stars versus female stars on this season on this show but the uh, second straight a rated male cast after fresh meat uh also the infernal inferno two and the inferno one and Real World vs. Road Rules, Season 2, all the way back. We've got a lot of stacked male casts over the year. This one, if I had to split hairs, if any of them deserved to even be bumped all the way up to that full-blown A+, the best it could ever possibly be, it'd be hard to say 8 out of 10 heavy hitters is not uh, is not that. But we're leaving it at an A for now. Then we had to the two pillars of this program. That would be the sport and the show. The sport grade first. Look, we introduced pole wrestle. That's a big deal. 
We had really good dailies with good enough prizes the whole time to get everyone to care on the off days, which is an important thing from a competitive standpoint on the daily challenges that had come to fruition in seasons past of it's a male day. So the women don't fully care that much. It's a women's day. The men don't really care that much. Having the really awesome prizes this season made so that everyone cared at every time. And the alliances and partnerships were kind of strong enough where I, you know, everyone was competing to help the person that was going to pick them on their day. So really good dailies, suspenseful, highly competitive all the way through who was going to win the season, who was going to win any individual elimination or daily high suspense, great eliminations, pole wrestle introduced all in all a full-blown A- minus for the sport grade. Then on the show grade side, how can it be anything but an A? We've got the Key West bloodbath. We talked about that. We had real alliances throughout and real changing of alliances and backstabbing within alliances happening. In the first season, we're really getting a full palette of all of that going on. Obviously, the iconic CTDM storyline that we've talked about at length repeatedly throughout this podcast the Anissa Robbins situation is a very impactful, big episode, momentous episode of television. And then we got tons of fun throughout. We have a cast that knows how to bring the laughs. There's some little pranks here and there. There's funny moments. There's interesting commentary. And, and there's, you know, evolutions of people within the show, whether it's CT and DM themselves, whether it's Wes, Anissa, a whole bunch of people. This show, just episode by episode, is so good both from the sports side, but especially from the show side. There's always interesting stuff going on. It's a full-blown A, which leads us to, that's an A minus an A, an A minus and an A for the four subgrades, to the overall grade. And uh, this is a monumental moment because we're giving the duel, season 13 of the challenge, a full-blown A. No minus, no plus, an A, a solid A, which makes this the best season to date, which I believe it is. I think it unequivocally is. Previously, we have had Fresh Meat, Inferno 2, and Inferno 1 as the only other seasons to enter the rarefied air of the A range, all three being in A-minuses. All three haven't gotten to that A-minus in different routes. This one, compared to those, is just more consistently great across the board. Both the male cast, the female cast, the sport, the show, it all holds up. There are no holes. There are no weaknesses. There are no one thing of, yeah, it was really great in this respect, but it could have been a little funnier, or it could have, you know, the competition was incredible, but there was no real amazing storyline. It's like, no, we got DM and CT, all right? That's a huge thing. We got the West versus Derek pole wrestle, an iconic elimination. We got some of the best and most interesting daily challenges we'd ever seen. We got massive character growth. We've got TJ uh, having an amazing hosting season, you know, ad lib and throwing things in like the jacket to Anissa and the comments to Brad calming down CT or attempting to rein in CT in that moment. We've got so much great things, incredible cast and setting. The whole thing, it just runs smoothly. There's no dud episodes throughout the whole thing. It really never falls off. There's one little spot in the middle where it kind of dips into C episode territory, but for the most part, A's and B's episodes, it's just, it's just nearly flawless. It's just so great, and it's definitely the in my book, which is the official book, as you know, you're listening to the official historian podcast here. It's the best season to date. It's one of the best seasons of all time. We'll be interested to see who can match, if not even pass it, as we go through future seasons to come. But it's an A. 
It takes its place as the best of the first 13 seasons, as one of the best of all time. And uh, that's, I feel really good about it. I feel really, really solid that that is exactly where it deserves to be. That is, you know, removing my personal bias because maybe, you know, I'm a big CT and DM. I like their story even more than the average person who obviously loves their story. I, you know, love Wes, love Derek, love pole wrestle, love the headbangers. We get one of those, you know. So, yes, I've got some biases to the great things about this season or the things I'm looking for the most, but it's got it all. And it's an A. It's the best season yet to date. And it's been wonderful to talk about for near hours on end at this point. So, We have graded it, we've handed out MVP to CT, we've handed out a bunch of awards, we've talked about the storylines, and now uh, we sit back and we move on to the next season, but before we do, remember that I would love to hear from you. Maybe you disagree, maybe you don't think that this should be the unequivocal best season of all time to date, let me know. Maybe I missed something, I got an award wrong, didn't touch on a storyline I should have, went too long on one. Hit me up, at Challenge Historian on Instagram, let's start a dialogue, let's talk it out and uh and uh, then we will move on to the inferno 3 season 14 which is uh unfortunately not available on paramount plus to stream so we'll have to take one season off of being able to confidently stream it with me although i do believe if you do a little searching out there on the daily motions or other internet sites uh you may be able to find and watch the inferno 3 if you would like to watch along but that's where we're headed to next we wrap up the duel here thank you so much for being here listening today reminder again challenge usa recaps come in middle of the week our first ever player profile resume breakdown career breakdown coming this friday and then next week we will be back with the Inferno 3. So you've got a week to digest the duel and then move in and binge. If you can find it out there, a place to binge it, do it. Binge the Inferno 3. We'll be back with that next week. So it's been a wonderful time talking about this wonderful season. I thank you for listening. I hope to talk to you again real, real soon. Until then, peace.